0: Love Talk Radio. All right, fans, here we go with the main event of the evening. Ladies and gentlemen, attendants, and fans joining us around the world. It's time for the
1: mouth you've all been waiting for, finally, it's the, the showtime. Hey, man, we dedicate our lives to this sport we give, we... Thousands of setups in camp. We run hundreds of miles, you know, for the ones to take it serious. And we just dedicate ourselves fully to our craft, man. We watch tape. We, 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 you know, we have attitude, we moving and we want that that fight to land on the to land on the line. This is the Ropa Dope Radio podcast. I am your host, Chris Carlson. We are live on a Tuesday night. Hope everybody's doing okay. I know I'm doing all right. Had a good week, that's for sure. Started out Sunday, went out of town for a few days. Had to get out of the city and unwind. It was it was very nice. The, the weather was beautiful and. Minnesota, you know, full of lakes, definitely got on them, was swimming until I had to leave. Unfortunately, uh, God, it was such a nice day when I left too, man. I wanted to stay. But anyway, we got a lot to talk about both in and outside of the ring. Of course, we'll start per usual in the ring with Jared Anderson and Charles Martin. We'll talk about that fight. We'll talk about Dalton Smith and Savannah Marshall as well along with some other fights that happened and, and some other fighters like Mason, the prospect and whatnot. Um, good crowd there in Toledo. I think it was seven over 7,000, 7,234. Um, you know, we, we know that if you don't, uh, regularly fight in your hometown, it can affect you. It sounds like it affected Anderson, much like a uh, And we've heard that many times in the past. Um, but he got tested. He got tested. Now, he didn't lose a bunch of rounds. I think people are acting like it was uh, like a 5-5 five, five or 6-4 fight. That wasn't the case. Now, if Charles Martin would have had a full camp, maybe he would have been able to have more output as far as punch. Not necessarily throwing a, a ton more punches, but just following up a little bit more. Um but overall, 10 hard rounds that we'll get into. I did think that Anderson, you know, showed some flaws defensively that were somewhat there already. You just couldn't quite see him all the way. He definitely, got, he definitely got at least buzzed, if not full-on hurt. But I really liked the way he came back in that very next round. Like I said, if Charles Martin wasn't, like, saving himself, not for marriage, but for the 10th round... <laughs> Uh, maybe maybe it would have been a closer fight. It wasn't a close fight, but like I said, he got a lot of experience out of this, and he can take it to the drawing board and learn from it, you know, in the coming training camps and uh, matchups that he has. Then this weekend, man, we have a big, big weekend coming up. Uh, Stanonius and Ortiz on the zone. I mean, that fight is just, gonna be an absolute banger i mean that's like a a banger banger i can't wait for that fight to stylize like i said the stylistic matchup on that it's basically a can't miss i mean in boxing you never know (laughs) right it is what it is but i just don't see how that isn't a banger um and then ennis and via a lot of people think via represents the best uh or the hardest per se test. Uh, for Boots Ennis, who really haven't hasn't been tested a whole lot, he's lost some rounds here and there. He looks, you know, uh, maybe style wise not as good in his last fight. This style should fit his uh, his style a little bit more. But V is dangerous, especially those right hands. And uh, you know, if he's on his come forward, uh, consistent come forward aggressive, it could be a good good fight. That'll be on Showtime. Um, the undercards, you know, Showtime per usual PBC generally have the best undercards. Uh, they have it here too. We'll talk about them as well as we kind of work our way through this. Like I said, I'm looking forward to both these fights, but that's Stanonius Ortiz, man. Wow. That, that, I can't wait for that. Now, since we last talked, which was all the way last Sunday, did I say Tuesday, by the way? Did I just naturally say Tuesday? I just realized that. Did I naturally say Tuesday or did I say Monday? It's not Monday. You know when when you like leave town or you go on vacation or maybe you're just not working, whatever, you kind of lose track of time? I'm pretty sure someone just sent me saying it's Monday, not Tuesday. Did I say Tuesday? My bad. <laughs> I'm just so used to Tuesday. Um, but anyway, we haven't talked in over like a week. And I know we're not all talking, but that's kind of what. Uh, the show is it's kind of like just me talking to everybody. Um, but we got an announcement September 30th. Yes. Canelo dropped the ball again on the Mexican independence weekend. It's not the first time he's done that. He did that with plant. It is what it is. He did that with Kovalev, although golden boy kind of dropped the ball there probably, but either way um, it is what it is. Undisputed versus undisputed. Jermell charlo not Jamal, and it's funny because last week when people were talking about that it's going to be maul a lot of folks were saying i think mel deserves that i think he deserves it because right now Jamal has been out of the ring for so long um it's coming on what two years now it'd be over two years uh if he fought canelo in september um And he's coming off a lackluster performance. Now, he didn't lose that many rounds, but he didn't look all that good. Basically, the last great Jamal Charlo performance was in September 2020. So he just – he's lost steam. That's just the bottom line. And and hopefully he gets his stuff figured out outside the ring. We know he's had some uh, issues with his – well, we're not going to get into his issues outside the ring, but – it's Mel. Mel gets the fight. Um, if you were excited about that mall fight, I don't see. I don't think there's a reason not to be excited about this fight. Obviously, jumping up to weight classes, we'll talk about that. That's going to be a test. I wouldn't say like Canelo is a big 168 pounder. You could make the argument 160 was his best weight for a while, I guess 155, but. Um, He's it's never been about his size at, you know at these weight classes. It's always just been skill. He's just been the overall uh greater fighter, the better fighter. And if you and if you look at the string of opponents beyond Bivol, even Golovkin who was faded by that time, um I don't know. I mean, I think Mel beyond Bivol at 175, I think he'd probably go go back and that's this fight's not going to be at 75. Um, I think you'd have to go back to the Glovkin too. That's probably the best opponent. Um, I don't know how people felt about Jacobs going into that fight. I thought he did pretty good. Uh, didn't do great though, in my opinion. Um, Kovalev, no doubt. That was at you know a catch weight, I believe, or at least the, the rehydration. But that was a faded Kovalev. I mean. I'd say Bivel and Golovkin since, what would that be, 2018? I'd say Mel. Besides those two, Mel represents probably the best opponent because Plant and Billy Joe Saunders and Ryder and Yildrum and Callum Smith, pretty one-dimensional guys. Now, that one dimension that some of these guys I just listed were pretty good. um, But I don't know. The combination of Canelo was just, better than those guys um in recent years it's not size you know and then i wouldn't look at mel as a small junior middleweight i mean most of us thought this was this next fight against tim sue which is what we thought we were going to get was probably going to be his last fight at that weight class anyway um it's wide open uh, for better or worse, <laughs> at middleweight right now. So I didn't think he'd stay at junior middleweight anyway. He's he's a big uh, junior middleweight. I, I I I'm not gonna say we don't know if his power can carry up there. My guess is it's not gonna you know carry all the way up there. But as long as he has enough pop, um, and the way he can fight when he's when he's like really tuned in to trying to winning rounds, you know, he's got more than just, I mean, sometimes he does fall for the, lately uh, fall for, and I mean recent fights, not just, not in his last fight, but sometimes he does fall for trying to land one big punch. I highly doubt that would be the game plan going up in weight, especially against a skilled guy like Canelo. But there are some crafty stuff, even when he's on the ropes. We saw it against Castano. Uh The counter-punching ability, the jab. Um, him and his brother both have great jabs. They're a little different. I'd say Malls is more of a power jab, more, more thudding. But scoring points, uh, staying on the outside, landing combinations when it's there, working the body, outworking Canelo, it's not impossible the way some folks are, 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 you know, I I understand jumping up two weight classes, you know, is a big deal. And, and it had, he had already fought at one sixty and shown he could carry his power. Maybe people wouldn't have that mentality. So I I understand. I just think the versatility, the skill level, the pop, the counter ability. That Jermell has, I I think it's going to be a competitive fight. I really do. If you look at, Shit, even Billy Joe Saunders, who got stopped. What was it, the seventh round or something? He was competitive. Amir Khan was winning that fight till he got starched. And I do see some comparisons there that people are trying to make. Um, but, you know, Jermell isn't a guy that's been chingy. I mean, the Khan thing, of course, once Canelo put his hands on him cleanly, he was going to get out, but he'd already been out. More than once, so both brothers have uh you know strong chins, and in recent years, recent fights, um you know the more consistent performer because um, like I said, we haven't seen a great performance since twenty twenty from Jamal charlo so i'm I think it's a good fight i I understand the jumping up in weight classes, I understand the Benavidez thing. Um, Tim Zoo's post was pretty funny Um, I mean you can say what you want about Canelo Remember Canelo chooses who he wants to fight We're going to talk about that in depth There's some other news out there You know Eddie Hearns talking about AJ and Wilder And the skills challenge How how they've They're on the same page They're they're finalizing some stuff Um, We're supposed to find out here pretty soon supposedly A.J. and Gillian and White are going to fight August, what was that, 12th or something like that. We'll talk a little bit about that. There's some news about Thurman and Ugas. It's just a variety of uh, interesting fights, a lot of fight news coming up, and we'll get to that. Like I said, we'll start in the ring um, with the Anderson Martin in the weekend, get to that Stanonius, Ortiz, and Ennis Villa um, I can't wait for this weekend. It's going to be good. But if this is your first time listening to the uh, Ropa Dope Radio podcast, welcome! It streams live right here on blogtalkradio.com dot forward slash Ropa Dope Radio. Uh, you don't have to. You don't have to go to Blog Talk and Ropa Dope and download download the show there directly. It's cool if you do. If not, you can find the Ropa Dope Radio podcast on Apple Podcasts, IR Radio. Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Player FM, Spricker, Stitcher, among several more platforms. While you're at it, why don't you head on over to TheGruelingTruth.com, Eastside Boxing, and Phil Boxing. One more thing, direct TV stream, your TV, your way, live sports news on demand, no annual contracts, no hidden fees for a limited time. Save $30 off your first three months starting at $64.99 plus tax for the first three months. Uh, start your free trial today. Also, learn how new subscribers can join the priority waitlist for a free TV from Telly. That's Direct TV Stream. Okay, so I'm gonna bring in John here in just a short little bit as I kind of break um, you know this stuff down. Um, really, like I said, really interesting fight that I think we got here over the weekend. Anderson Martin on paper. We thought, okay, this is a good test. I do, I, you know, I like the Toledo vibe. It looked like a, a you know, packed place in there. Um, so that's always good to see, you know I mean? It's always good to see. Um, like I said, what I say? Uh, 7,000, something like that. I think that they sat. So that, that's, you know, in attendance anyway, 7,234. Um, and they definitely, you know, came out to see their guy, which you always gotta love. Um but this, you know, Martin, as I mentioned, what was it, eleven day notice or something like that, but he had been training. You could tell, um, even in the face off and the way in that he had been training. Now did he get a you know a full eight to ten week camp? No. But he didn't come in way out of shape. Now you could say That there's times where it appeared that he uh, was kind of saving himself, I guess, the round right after he hurt Anderson. Although I liked the way Anderson got back on his jab and started pushing Martin back still and had a really good bounce back round when it looked like his legs were a little wobbly. Um, You know, Martin didn't really add many punches in that round It's almost like he took off that round. Now down the stretch of the fight, that was a little bit different, but overall he definitely got tested. Uh, the first two rounds, uh, you know, Jared was going to the body using his jab, um, some quick combos, that type of thing. Um, definitely nice left hooks off the jab, you know, ripping some right hands. And then I'd say in the second or third round, a few, two or three left hands from Martin started to land. You saw a, like a better jab from Martin, in the, you know, as the fight wore on. Uh, he was circling a little bit more, even in the round that he got knocked down. I think it was uh, in the last little bit of the round, maybe five, ten seconds of the round. I think it was under ten seconds. Um, a right hand, like an overhand right, kind of like a cuffing, kind of a slap. Uh, not really able to turn the punch all the way over, knockdown, but it was effective, right? Um, And even in that next round, I don't think, you know, Martin was hurt, but he got caught with a good counter shot. Um, I think it was uh, Anderson kind of ducked into his left and came over, kind of an awkward angle, but he was still able to at least land the punch enough for him to, you know, score a knockdown. Um, A little more limited success, let's call it, started to see Martin land a little bit more, and just overall throw more. You know, and like I said, some of that, he doesn't throw a bunch of punches, but some of that may have been pacing himself, which in the end was kind of smart. Um, And, but even in that fourth round, I did think Anderson still won it. I think he closed better. He probably landed the cleaner shots overall as well. Um, But, you know, (laughs) Martin... Martin time, was starting to time him better, and and there was actually, a, even in that fourth round, Martin was trying to time him, and he got countered in that. I thought that was kind of interesting from Anderson, something he did in the second half of the fight. But the jab in the left hand started finding a home, and it literally was a jab left, seemed to at least buzz, maybe full-on hurt, his legs definitely weren't steady. I'm speaking of Anderson at the midway point, multiple left hands after that. And, you know, with like 30 seconds left, he was looking at the clock. Um, You know, he was throwing wide punches. He was squaring up. There was that moment where he jumped at a punch. And I was like, wow. You know, I, I had seen a little footwork issues with him, but when he, when he either missed or throw a punch, Sometimes he falls in too much in his legs. Now, of course, like heavyweights are big, generally speaking, right, and tall. And so you're going to have a wider stance. But sometimes he put himself, you know, not only just squared up, but his legs were so wide apart that that was pretty pretty telling. I was like, wow, okay, those are the flaws that you could kind of see, but until you had a live body, and not to say he just fought a bunch of no hopers at all, because he, he has, and I thought he, I thought they moved him really well, and they took a risk here with Martin. Sure, he didn't have a full camp, but we know he had plant. he had at least been in camp two separate times, and like I said, you could tell he was in pretty good shape, considering he was only 11 days off, but, or 11 days before the fight, but the way, the two things, the way Anderson, like I said, jabbing again, right hooks, really kind of Pushing him back, um, that was one thing that I liked in the sixth round. The, the sixth round, though, for Martin, he was like taking a walk. It was like, what are you, what the fuck are you doing, dude? Like, did you get that gassed out in that round trying to, you know, follow up? Now he did end up, you know, getting his jab going and a couple right hooks or whatever. But that was kind of weird. Um, seventh round, Anderson just busy. Had like a really nice late flurry that summed up that round. Uh, whereas Martin, mostly jabbing. Um, now, the eighth round is a round that I think you could have gave him uh, Martin. Because he had a really good start uh, with the jab, moving a little bit. He landed a nice uppercut. Um, and I think overall he closed better in that round. So I gave that round to Martin. Um, And then that's it, you know, so it was eight to two. But again, in that round, when beyond just limited success, where I thought Martin had enough to win that round success-wise, he's looking up at the clock with like 30, 40 seconds left. So it's just kind of strange. Um, But once again, Anderson came out. I thought he was mostly jabbing, but he was jabbing to the body and throwing to the body. Um, Nice straight left hands. Uh, He's got a really nice right hook. Like I said, that kind of continued. Left hands to the head, jab to the body, clean round for for Anderson in the tenth, so it closed up really nice. Two scorecards had it ninety nine ninety and then ninety eight ninety one. Um beyond the squaring up with the wide stance stuff in front of him, kinda after punching. Um, and then Anderson's you know, the old pulling straight back, right? Um I also thought that Switching to orthodox a little too much, just switching in general at heavyweight. Switching is a little dicey. Uh, I mean, it's dicey for anyone that can't do it uh, at a high level, obviously, but especially heavyweight. So I, I, there's a couple of things you could point out about his performance that makes you go, hmm. If we're in that fifth or sixth round and he's going against Wilder, and you know Wilder has the ultimate eraser, so. We got to keep that in perspective when we talk about this. But, hey, if we say he's the next great heavyweight in America, well, you know, a guy like Fury or Wilder or whatever, I'm not sure if he gets out of that fifth or sixth round. And I guarantee you Wilder is coming to get him, you know, in the early in the sixth round, too, not just in the fifth. So, and I'm not just trying to use Wilder as, you know, I mean, Usyk could, you know, do some stuff on the outside as well. Uh, that we saw minor success, limited success by Martin. I think we could definitely see Usyk do it better. Now, how long can Wilder Usyk and, you know, Fury do it better. That is something that we got to bring up. AJ's there other, you know, um, other guys there as well. But I didn't think, you know, I didn't overrate him. So now I can't, now I feel like he's being underrated. Like he's, You know, I I didn't say, oh, hands down, dude, he'll wipe out the, you know, the whole heavyweight division in a few fights. Um, He's almost ready. I wasn't saying that already. Um, But, you know, I've heard multiple people talk about his hand speed is there, but his body and torso speed to actually deliver the punch, um, especially when he falls in or, or, like I said, squares up there. That could get him in trouble. I, I agree with that. Um, but I, the whole he's overrated. Well, how, how high did you have him rated? You know, I don't think he was exploited. You know, I, I just don't. And if you were watching him throw these combinations in other punch, or other fights, he's gotten clipped before. And I actually didn't, what was it, two fights ago, I didn't like his response after he got clipped and got slurried on beat because he was, like, so, you know, intent on knocking the guy out just to show you something, you know. So, overall, though, I think these are 10 great rounds to learn, like I said, whether it's in training camp, it's sparring, you're just working on uh, some fundamental stuff, footwork stuff. Um, And sometimes he does rely on his head movement, either pulling straight back or his, like, upper body movement to dodge. It's like, you've got to move your feet, too, dude, you know. Because that shit's not going to – you go against a high-level guy, you're not going to be able to stand with cement blocks in the middle like that right in front of your guy. So um, so do I have some critique? Sure. But this is what – how many fights does the guy have? You know what I mean? Like this is why this was a good fight, and it turned out to be a damn good fight, and the guy only lost at tops two rounds. I, I don't think he could give him three rounds uh, to Martin. I, I don't even think he'd say it. Um, you know, we'll talk about maybe who's next, maybe the guy he was supposed to fight, maybe he'll be next. Um, like I said, can you make the argument if Martin would have been scheduled originally, you know, two and a half months ago and and he didn't feel like he had to hold back? Sure. You could maybe give him an extra round or two and maybe he would have attacked him more in that sixth round when it still looked at the beginning of it, that his legs weren't great. I don't know. He caught him late too. Um, I did hear multiple people say that they stopped the fight early, which they did a couple of seconds, but it's not like uh, it was a hometown. Let's stop the thing. He's out on his feet type thing. He got, he got clipped near the end of the fight, no doubt, but it, he got clipped throughout the fight at times. So either way, it's a great learning experience. And now he could, ba- you know, take it back to the drawing board. I, I think that's the key to it. Um, we'll talk about, you know, some other action, uh, like I said, from Dalton Smith and uh, Savannah Marshall and whatnot over the weekend. And then we'll get into Stanonius Ortiz, Enes and all that good stuff to talk undisputed against undisputed and whatnot. But let's go ahead and bring in John into the frame and get his thoughts on this weekend. And then, of course, preview and debate and predict this uh, upcoming weekend because we got got some fights this weekend, no doubt about it. How you doing, John? What's going on?
2: Chris, how's it going on this uh,
1: long Fourth of July weekend? It's going pretty good, man. I got out of town. I definitely got uh, some much-needed, you know, R&R. Got out on the lakes. That's what we're known for here. And uh yeah, had a had a good few days off. now I'm kind of you know recharging the batteries and ready to go.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think it's been that kind of weekend, having this extra long uh, fourth of July weekend.
1: Yes, indeed. Um, so obviously, we'll start in the ring. You know we'll cover some of the u k stuff, however much you want to cover with that, but let's get to Jared Anderson. Charles Martin, like I said, over 7,000 people in attendance. They were there supporting their guy in Toledo. I like the, uh, the little, you know, the, the, the little preview about using the same, you know, bell to ring, uh, you know, the, the house bell, basically, that was a pretty cool story that it had been used, you know, 4th of July week a lot long ass time ago. That was kind of cool. But overall, it was a good night for the hometown kid. What'd you think about the action in the ring?
2: Well, yeah, I agree on the setting. Toledo was good. It was, it was a good fight for ESPN. The fight ends up being entertaining. I liked how Shakur Stevenson did the ring walk with Jared Anderson. You know, good for each guy to give each other some exposure and these types of things. Of course, same promoter, but that kind of stuff does tend to work. uh, I liked all that. I've brought this up a lot. Got to bring it up again though because it's just it's just out of date. Um, main event starting after eleven in the East. We haven't seen the ratings come in yet, but you're just in part defeating the purpose. And that's you know top rank because they handle the boxing stuff for ESPN. But of course, it's ESPN who has the final decision on what's going to go on when. Obviously, um, sure. I think probably what they look at is, you know, they're they're getting a live rating on something being shown at 11 o'clock in the East higher than, you know, something else that would be on. But I I can say, you know, knowing enough about live TV and expenses, you know, you're you're paying for a live boxing show. So, you know, considering what your expense is, I I think you want to try to get that in a position for a better rating and you know it's a fight in the eastern time zone so you know we talked last week and Chris you did like my point about you know when you're going to show these this was not one of those weeks but when you're going to show like say 115 pounders I'd really say anything below featherweight and a lot of times that's going to have more appeal to a west coast audience you know don't don't delay your main event on the east for that you know put, put that afterwards. Let's start something new there for this. It would just be, you know, get that main event started earlier. Got to go back. You know, people say, Oh, you you can't say that had anything to do with it, but these kind of things all add up. That's why they do it. Got to mention this example, which was a great one, a lot, you know, when they had Errol Spence fight Bundu come and uh, put it on right after the U.S. Olympic final, you know, this was in the early days of PBC, you know, on NBC, you get that lead-in audience. It was in the late afternoon in the East Coast, and you had like 6 million viewers or something like that. Errol Spence is fighting Terrence Crawford at the end of this month in a big pay-per-view fight. Other things have to build to it, but that's a big part of it. So why I wanted to just lead him with that, it's kind of out of the ring, but I think it sets the scene. You know, Top Rank's been getting some of these guys ESPN exposure, which is great. I'm in favor of that. You see, some of them getting better ratings than others, but they haven't been able to convert it into a successful pay per view yet on ESPN Plus pay per view. So, this does matter what I'm saying. In other words, you know, some of them, some of the guys, they've just pulled off early to pay per view where they needed more appearances, but also it's when the appearances are. So, this the thing where you're showing main events after 11 on a Saturday night in the East, Saturday night's the least watched night of TV, is at a date, it goes back to the early days of HBO when the idea was HBO was like this, you know, premium thing you paid for for movies and stand-up comedy special and fights, kind of like, you know, you didn't leave your house and you were watching these, you know, shows on a weekend on TV instead of having to pay to go in person type of a thing. But, that has nothing to do with, you know, at this stage when, you know, you know, really all the promoters are running these things late on Saturday nights. It's, you know, even though PBC uses Showtime for that, that that's out of date. So now, okay, enough of that. Getting into the ring, you know, Anderson, he didn't get the knockout even early that I thought he'd probably get against Martin. I've got to go back to that Gil Clancy thing that I've mentioned a lot of times, Chris, because I loved how, you know, Gil was one of those boxing genius type guys, trainer and commentator, and he always said, you know, you got to sometimes go on what version showed up, and I thought this was a tough version of Martin that showed up. Some people agree, some people are saying, oh, well, he really didn't do that much, but, you know, Anderson – at 100% KO percentage going into this fight. I mean, I think Martin, understandably, was worried about that. I mean, he's 37 years old. You know, I think he came to fight, and I think he did all he could. No, he wasn't winning rounds except for the, you know, what was it, the sixth when he really hurt Anderson? And then, uh, you know, maybe maybe you could give him the tenth when he hurt him at the end, but that was it. I agree with what you said. No, two, two rounds max. So you can't criticize Anderson that much there. And he was fighting a spirited version of Martin. You know, Martin came to fight like that against Konatsky. I think Anderson's a lot better than Konatsky, and Konatsky's faded already. But, you know, he he did take a lot of punishment in his brief time in the spotlight, and that fight with Martin was real good. And, of course, even though Martin won a lot more rounds against Konatsky all in the second half, and Konatsky really had to take the, the last round on that one to pull that out, it reminded me, slightly of that, though, where, you know, a spirited Martin got off a little slow, and then he started landing some good shots and, you know, was landing some good shots in the second half of that fight, but wasn't enough to win rounds, wasn't enough really to get Anderson about ready to go, and that was to Anderson's credit. I think, you know, you you hit on something, Chris, that I'm looking at, I didn't actually hear much of, but I think here's where Anderson made the mistake in the fight. I think, and it's kind of counterintuitive the way it played out. I think in the early rounds of the fight, you know, at least the first three, four, when he was just staying orthodox, he was being actually very disciplined in a classic attack against the Southpaw, which was straight lead right hand and left hook. I mean, you go back. You know, you know, decades in boxing, you know, 100 years, that's the way you were taught to attack a southpaw. And he was doing that, I thought, to perfection. I thought had he been patient and just stayed with that, he would have eventually got to Martin. I think even the way the fight played out, I think he would have. But what I saw was he switched, and then here's the part that I'm saying is counterintuitive. As soon as he switched, he hit Martin with a big right hook and hurt him and dropped him. But after that point, the switching was not effective at all. So it to me was kind of like a false moment. Like he he happened to catch him. He did have him off guard. That very first moment he switched out of the excellent orthodox attack he was using, but then it was not effective after that uh, compared to the way he was fighting in the early rounds. Uh, He started throwing a lot of jabs, but – when you're fighting a southpaw, that's not really the classic way to attack. A lot of times your jab can be neutralized when you're fighting a southpaw. That's why you don't go with that. So I didn't think that – Anderson has a good jab. He's got all his punches are good, but I thought the switching thing was ineffective. Uh, Tyson Fury, you know, did that a lot. Hasn't been doing that much, frankly, when he's been better. And, you know, Anderson does spar with Fury a lot, has in the past at least. Um, So maybe he should take a little bit of a cue from that because I thought at one time in his career, oh, look, Tyson Fury can do the switching. But really, when he started having his best performances in this role he's been on, he hasn't been switching. Uh, So I thought the Anderson outside of that knockdown, which was totally legit, can't say anything otherwise, I don't think the switching was effective. I thought if he would have been patient, I was actually very impressed because he was fighting a southpaw, which can be difficult. The way he was going with the classic attack to you know break down a southpaw, which a lot of guys nowadays can't do. I see a lot of right-handers just not able to do it. They just keep fighting in their uh, conventional style. And, and a lot of times when they have trouble, it's not effective. But Anderson was doing the classic attack. I was very impressed. Started switching, got away from it, never went back to it consistently. I thought that hurt him. Then I thought what also hurt him was what you pointed out. And, you know, I actually disagree with you a little, Chris. I I, I kind I guess when you're trying to entertain, market yourself, the fans want knockouts. I don't have the problem, like when he's got nailed, like it was, I think, the Jerry Forrest fight you were alluding to correctly, uh, where even though he got Forrest out of there very early, he got nailed, uh, you know, at, I think the first round. And then he went after him to get him out of there and did. I actually do kind of like that, even though maybe, you know, it's a slight bit of more risk, looks risky. He was doing that here, I agree, and he got nailed. Um, but I'm not going to get too down on him for that. But I am a little concerned like some, and like you were mentioning, you know, I like his aggression, but he, he does seem, you know, you saw a little bit of that in the brief time against Forrest and in this fight against Martin, another veteran who'd been in with some tougher opposition, that, that he's getting hit. So um, I like entertainment value, but it does have to be balanced with, at some point, you just can't be taking clean shots. You know, that, that was one thing. When my father was teaching me about boxing coming up, he, he hated guys that just took clean shots that knew how to box as well, and he, he would just always say, you know, you're not going to last long, and it, it's going to get to you sooner or later. for for me, his classic example pointing that out was he was always a Bobby Chacon fan. And they don't talk about it much now, but, you know, Bobby Chacon was a skilled boxer when he was coming up who just had pop in his right hand. And then he started brawling. And, uh, you know, my dad was saying as it transpired, you know, Chacon, even though he loved him, you just can't keep taking those shots. You can't keep taking those shots. And, you know, for his life, it didn't end up too good down the road, but I'm not saying Jared Anderson's going to do that, but, the point is, yeah, you don't want to get in that habit where you're, you're just taking clean shots, especially from heavyweights. So, a little bit of a concern, but but he was against the spirited version of Martin. He won eight or nine rounds. I'm with you, Chris, uh, in the sense that people were getting too down on him the next day. You know, Like you said, you, you made you feel a little defensive. I felt the same way. Now, I was higher on him, I think, than you were going into the fight. And I'm not going to back off on that just because of the Martin fight. Like, I don't, you know, look, you can't go too much on one performance. It's only the guy's 15th fight. When you're talking about American heavyweights, and, you know, I'm a huge Deontay Wilder fan, but he's getting older. I'm still not going to count Anderson out. I don't think it was an overhype. I don't think it's an overhype even after what happened Saturday. You know, at this stage, he may turn out to be the best American heavyweight. I'm not saying he will be. I'm not saying, like you said, that, you know, when he's getting hit like that, I mean, you know, to get hit by Deontay Wilder, like that, it's lights out. And as you correctly said, you know, if he hurts you like that, he's coming after you. So uh, that doesn't mean I'm saying he's beating Wilder either, but I'm, I'm not going to count him out. Uh, it was a spirited version of Martin who came to fight. I'm going to go on the Gil Clancy, you know. Sometimes you just got to evaluate what version of the guy shows up. I mean, you got to give credit to Anthony Joshua, but like most say, and I agree, for, you know, without. Really, and I, I don't mean to take anything away from Joshua because Joshua was more aggressive at that point in his career, but you know that that just seemed like a a, a Martin that that didn't want to be there or something when he fought Joshua, and then kind of had some redemption against Kanatski, and you know you saw that again Saturday night, and I think for Martin moving on, look if you know he got himself some ESPN exposure, he fought well against you know the certainly the top American heavyweight prospect in the world. And with, again, the lack of depth in American heavyweights, you know, you got Deontay Wilder, Andy Ruiz, you know, you do have to, if you're a Jared Anderson believer, you do have to say he's, he's a threat there. So Martin performed well, didn't get stopped. He's the first guy to go the distance with Anderson, you know, rather than just taking some solid money, maybe to be a, you know, a trial horse gatekeeper and, fight against other promoters, guys, you know, he could go back to PBC. PBC has the cards, could get into some, you know, 50-50 heavyweight matchups there, um, maybe fight Hovnassian, uh, who's going to still, you know, fight against Faust in that spot that Martin was going to be there. Maybe if if Hovnassian, you know, Hovnassian beats Faust, maybe Martin takes that fight again, and that, that would be a, a good matchup. And, you know, maybe some other slots there. Uh, you know, I think that he keeps his career going. He's 37. you got to be careful. He's wise, heavyweights, you know, of course, can do a lot of damage. But, you know, he, he definitely helped himself with that effort and the exposure. You know, So, Anderson, a little disappointed he didn't get the KO, but I saw the reaction so overboard down on him the next day. So, you know, and I sometimes defended Teddy Atlas takes where – you know, obviously he's gotten bitter but there's been times I, I still like some things he said now and over the years so I don't want to totally you know knock him like some people do. But then you gotta also be fair, you know, he, he knocked Anderson after that saying he was just a hype job and, you know, built we're building up nothings and stuff. I, I thought that was ridiculous. You know, I thought that was a ridiculous take by Teddy. You got to you got to be fair and call it out both ways. So that was a, I thought that was a terrible take. So uh, you know some some people seem to be picking up along those lines. I think that's ridiculous. You look at the heavyweight division. In a, in a way, it's deep. It, it's probably a little bit deeper than people give it credit for. It wasn't that way, but it's 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 getting that way. Um, but even with that, you know Anderson, you don't know that yet. You don't you don't want to say for sure. But some some of these guys in there are stale. I mean, I'm certainly, I would certainly, you know, pick Anderson against guys like Dillian White. I mean, that, not, nothing's changing for me just because Charles Martin went the distance on that. So, uh, and, and, you know, there's, there's others. That's, that's not the only one. So, yeah, you know, you, you saw some flaws. You don't want to overbuild them up either, but I thought that the negative reaction was a little bit overboard.
1: Yep, and, it, you know, it just may go back to that, well, I had him getting knocked out, you know. <laughs> I had him on yeah. the under, you know, that type of thing. <laughs> right. Yeah, it people, right, it gets people plenty
2: annoyed, you know, you thought you had that, what the heck. I thought, that was a, I thought that was a pretty good bet, because I thought, you know, Martin, he was in training, so I didn't think he was just going to completely fold, but I just thought Anderson might have too much for him, the way he'd been knocking people out, and he is aggressive, which I like. Uh, but it was just a spirited version of Martin. He was in training. He lost a few weeks, but uh, I got to give the guy credit. You know the way he fought for losing a few weeks, and then you had some people getting down on him. He hurt Anderson a couple times. I mean, the guy's 37 years old. You know, I mean, what do you want from the guy? You know, he, he can't he can't go high volume at 37. Against right, right. 20- Forty yeah, three. Come on! I mean, you know, there was the sixth round was
1: kind of interesting, though. I will say that, like, after the round yeah. after he hurt him for like ninety seconds, he was just walking around. It's like, well, hold on now, you know, like. But yeah, you're right. He couldn't just go nuts either. He did hurt him though. Yeah, he hurt him bad.
2: I, I like the fight. I mean, even though it was a nine one eight two fight, it was one of those competitive, you know, eight two nine one fights. It was a good fight. I mean, it was a good fight. I liked the fight. So, you know, for, for boxing, I always like that, you know, ESPN heavyweights, a fight. I liked, I liked that being on there. I just wish it would have
1: started earlier. Right. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. Um, now, did you want to talk a little bit? I mean, the undercard, obviously, you know, um, Abdullah uh, Mason um, made quick work, you know, didn't, didn't, his thing basically came out with a speedy jab uh nice right hooks i think at the second he we started landing these uppercuts and then landed like maybe five to like seven left hands um and you know for, for the knockout um stumbles to get up it was a good stoppage obviously the Makmudov uh, opponent uh, um the Miami, the former Miami hurricane football slash basketball player. That was, that was, you know, I didn't know when I, when I saw his record, saw some highlights, I was like, man, I don't know, whatever. You know, it's not like this guy's got a ton of fights either and he's fought better competition. That's for sure. Um, but that, that was a mismatch. You know, that, that, that one was a a pretty bad mismatch. So the undercard wasn't all that great um, because they had to talk a lot, you know, they had these quick knockouts and then they had to talk between both fights and that kind of lends itself um, to what you're saying about not only is it kind of coming on a little bit late, but then you got to sit through about an hour plus of like four rounds and then a bunch of talk, you know, so that it's, it's not like someone's in the ring right away. Um, what'd you think about that, 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 you know, the undercard, like I said, Mason looked really good. Uh, I didn't, I didn't know he was gonna be the co feature until that night. Um, so that's kind of a, obviously a weak co feature for a triple header. Um but yeah, yeah, yeah that, Muda, that was a mismatch. I mean that was you could see right away, like, oh my gosh. First couple punches, like a big right hands and uppercuts and that dude's legs were gone.
2: Yeah, I I was I wasn't happy. I have, I've had mixed emotions about and this does fit what I said, you know, I started out prefacing the, you know, Anderson and Martin, constructive criticism on the programming. I was kind of given top rank a pass, trying to get some of their top prospects exposure before these main events, you know, having them on first. This was a bridge too far for me for the reasons you're saying, Chris, the Mason opponent didn't belong there. And, you know, the opponent of MacMendall didn't belong there. I tried to have hope because I believe in heavyweights getting exposure because I still think even in this day and age, if you really had the choice, especially in the U.S., the fans want to see him. And, you know, this guy, he had fought nobody, but he had a 15-0 and with 14 KO record. And then Glenn Johnson had been training him, you know, the, the former tough light heavyweight. So, tried to get optimistic there, even though there was nothing really, you know, the odds makers had Makwinov a, a massive favorite, but they're trying to hope maybe this guy, this guy was six eight, could land a bomb or two or something. He didn't, he didn't belong in there, and again, so for fans, you know, when, when you're on regular TV, so to speak, basic cable like ESPN, even though it's, we know we're at a point where there's really hardly any casual fans, and it, it's mostly hardcore fans, still, the idea is you're trying to pick up some casual fans or some channel flippers, and just to get garbage like that, you know, you run them, you run them off, or they're they're not going to bother again. And, and the boxing goes save that, that for much. the
1: plus, right, John? Save that for the plus. Uh, yeah.
2: Either save it for the plus, or I'm going to keep beating like it undercard fans. Yeah, because I think it fits. Let let's go back to the old concept of the walkout bouts on TV, and I think it does make more sense. And you know. No, no, no. I think about it. PBC was experimenting with that a little bit when they were having some yeah. of their regular TV cars, and then they were having like an FS1, we're gonna yeah, the the post, on FS1, we're going to finish up the cars like two weeks after. O'clock. Yep. Yeah, I mean, well, I they PBC got do, a, a lot so. of
1: criticism for that, but there's something to be said about that. I forgot about yeah. that.
2: So so I did forget, too, they were getting that idea a little bit because they were getting regular TV there then, you know, with some network stuff, and you don't want to waste your network TV spot with some of those fights. So this is the same thing. Like, you're going to have Abdullah Mason in a mismatch, Mac Mendoza in a mismatch. Put them on after Jared Anderson. It really does bother me because, to me, it's become such common sense. Like, have Jared Anderson in the ring at 10 o'clock. You know, don't even – like, again, they did that with Spence and Bundu. They skipped all the walkouts and everything. I, as a fan, like those two and, you know, the ring announcements and everything. But maybe in some of these regular TV spots where you're trying to maximize, you do do what they did there with Spence and Bundu. In other words, it hits 10 o'clock on ESPN. Jared Anderson is in there in the ring with Charles Martin, and the first bell goes off. Then you have Mason on after work that and I mean – it really is starting to be a no-brainer because you're, you're hurt, and it's not leading to the pay-per-views like you would like. Again, it has not with the ESPN top-ranked guys. Haney and Lomachenko did 150, so it's not, you know, Crawford when he he'd been put on some of those pay-per-views, he was doing 150. It's not worth, you know, it's not it's not leading to what they want it to. So, look, this is this is a big part of it. You're not you're not even getting the numbers you could get. So yeah, I didn't like mismatch undercard fights. I was trying to be hopeful, especially with the heavyweights, but it was a complete mismatch. <laughs> so yeah, th- that, that's,
1: and I saw that, the uh, hurricanes football program and I do remember this guy, but once I saw him get hit, I was like, Oh boy. And Mac Mudoff just came right with the right hand right away. Didn't he? He's like, I'm not wasting any time.
2: Yeah. he's got amateur pedigree. So that, that's when it gets even worse. I mean, when you have these guys, the guys like that who don't have any amateur pedigree and you're, you're putting them then in with guys with amateur pedigree. And that, that's one of the things that let, – let's be fair here. That's one of the things that I think was really impressive about Prince Charles Martin's performance. I mean, as we know, he was one of the last guys left that, that actually made it anywhere from that heavyweight project where they were just taking people that they thought were good athletes and a good size and teaching them to box late. He started boxing when he was 22 and he's been able to make a career, almost all those other guys weren't. Um, him, so, in other words, he was in with Jared Anderson, one of the few American heavyweights in recent years who has amateur pedigree, and he won a tough 10 with him. So it shows you how tough it is to do that, like you're pointing out, this Miami Hurricanes football guy going in with Macklodolph, who had amateur pedigree, and just looking inept and getting blown out. You're showing you how hard it is.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, you know, the, yeah, like I said, there just wasn't a whole lot in that to sink your teeth in. But the fact that on paper and in the ring, ultimately, it was about the hometown uh, theme, and that was a heavyweight theme. And, you know, to a casual fan, seeing 15-0 and 0 and 16-0, and 0, they're not going to fucking know the difference. So it is what it is. But overall, I thought, uh, like you said, we don't have the ratings but a successful show. Um, it, I just... You know, I I did like what I saw um, in many ways out of Anderson, and kind of talking about that, him you know, raging back after getting clipped early. I see what you're saying, but I guess if in in I'm not assuming he'd do that as as he climbs the ladder. You know what I mean? And he actually didn't do it in his next fight. He didn't do it in this fight either. So I think he learned from that. But I think my point is that he's. You know, once you get on the top level and you start getting mad that you got hit, um, that's gonna get you clipped. You know what I mean? Like way more, yeah. you know, against a much well, better fighter is, but it's a lot. It is heavy. He wasn't on that level. It is, and it
2: is heavy but it is heavyweight, you're right. I mean it is heavyweight. Yeah. I, I I have to concede I like the aggression but I have to concede he's getting hit a little too much in these you know, last couple of fights. Um you know, at least the Forrest fight, even though it was very early, and then this one with Martin, because it's heavyweight. It's not even the lower weights. I mean, heavyweight. You know, one shot can do it. I mean, literally. You know, one right. shot can get you out. Your your fight's over. So, he he is going to have to tighten you know, up. And, and even if, even if you got a, a grand chin at heavyweight, you, your body can't your you know your body can't take that damage. I mean, you you, know, you take yeah. those shots, you're gonna it's just the accumulation, even if you're not getting KO'd, he's going to catch up to you, and it's going to you know, wear you down and, and just kind of short-circuit your system. So can't can't keep getting hit like that at heavyweight. That is true.
1: Now, most of the prospects, DeAndre Ward, uh, Tyler McCrary, Delante Johnson, most of, most of them uh, won. Jahai, uh, Jahai Tucker did get beat uh, by Nicholas Flaws, I think it was, or flaws. Um That that was, you know, that was an upset. Uh, not a shocking upset, though, but, yeah, that, that was kind of like the highlight of that, um, I guess you could say, that, that undercard. Just talking a little bit about um, what went on overseas, um, you know, Savannah Marshall did take care of Francon Cruz, DeZone, or DeZone, not Zone. Well it was it wasn't on the zone. What am I saying? Sky courts. Uh but now Marshall and Shields, everybody wants to see that rematch. Um Dalton Smith versus Sam uh Maxwell, you know, at the stage is a nice stepping stone fight for, for Dalton Smith. I thought he he didn't he definitely didn't lose a round, uh, in my mind. Um he was Landing a lot of left hooks during exchanges and overall just landing cleaner. Uh, I remember early, I think it was a second round, huge overhand rights, quick little fur, uh, flurries when Maxwell would put his back on the rope. Uh, counter right hand, you know, the one-two stuff. Uh, there was, you know, Maxwell at times did get into it a little more, but just nowhere near enough. But I think it was the fifth round where he got cut. And then on his right eye, it was a nasty cut. Then he ended up getting cut on his left eye, too. Um, Kind of a slow start in the sixth round. Uh, Nice overhand right by uh, Smith. Big right uppercut. You know, just, uh, you know, knocks Maxwell back. I think it was a right uppercut, if I remember correctly, in the last minute. And that was kind of the beginning to the end. Maxwell never really had a, a shot to win this one. I think it was the seventh round where he got the other cut, but that destructive right hand uh, by Dalton Smith. um, What do you think is potential at 140? Uh, You know, he's obviously a prospect trying to become a contender at this point.
2: Uh, Earlier in his career, I was like most people. I I liked what I was seeing. I'm generalizing, but he he was showing more pop than you see at a lot at a lot of the UK fighters, again, not all, there are definitely exceptions, but uh, just in general, which, which I thought was a positive, a good thing. But then we saw in his, his last couple of fights, we, we weren't seeing that. And then the general consensus, including with me, was he was kind of disappointing. And I thought you were – even though he had some moments, like you said, when he landed some good shots and he wasn't losing rounds – I thought it was starting in a disappointing fashion again because I kind of like Sam Maxwell as not a great fighter or anything, not a legit top 10 guy or anything like that. But, you know, on that level, decent fighter, a little bit of pop, had some amateur pedigree. So I was kind of okay with the matchup going in too. But Maxwell did seem tentative to engage. Not that he hadn't engaged, but, I mean, he, he just wasn't throwing enough. Uh, When he did throw, he landed a couple of decent shots, but he just wasn't throwing near enough, and and that was a big problem. So I thought for how little Maxwell was throwing, I thought Smith was really on the way where he's having another fight where he was not aggressive enough, even though I agree with you that he landed a couple of decent shots along the way. Um, Then he he got cut from clashes of heads, two bad cuts, but that it, it's funny because it ended up being a positive. I, I agree with the people that took it as a positive. But to me, it, it was all late for me. But he, he did a couple of things late that I like to see. And this did get him then at least back on track with a positive performance. And for me, the, the two things were really this. He, he got the two head – you know, he had the two cuts from the head clashes. And his dad's in his corner – and his dad was giving him that that cautious advice that to me you right, do right. see a little in Europe in the UK and you don't see in the US where, and I've even heard the UK commentators say this correctly about the US like, you know the the fans want the fans want to see knockouts they actually are looking even a little more to see exchanges and brawls if they're going to get them, and in the US, you know the fans like aren't content. Like, oh, you, you can just go to the scorecards here, just jab them now. You, you've got two cuts from butts, and if the ref stops you, you're going to win. I'm not saying you never hear it said, but it's like fans aren't looking for that. And, and in the U.S., I think you even get them the corners. You know, that, that's even in the culture of the game. So I'm crediting Dalton Smith, the fighter himself, because he was getting the, the instruction. And this sometimes, you know, the dads in the corner can go both ways this was one of those instances where the dad in the corner was taking the too cautious approach. You know, we, we've seen the dad in the corner with the over hyper sending the son out when he's taking all kinds of punishment, you know, one more round and things like that, just showing you can't, I guess, just generalize all dads in the corner being the same. And then sometimes you get the, the too cautious dad in the corner, like, Talking a little bit about you know Joey Spencer and some of those recent fights, like his dad just wants him right. to box, you know? like, and that, that's not his. That's probably not his game alone. He can do it all right, but you know there, there's other elements of his game and his his height stack. He needs to also be fighting in other ways. And here, you know, you got Dalton Smith's father. Oh, you got the head clash and you're head on the cards. Just you know, just jab him you know, you've, you've got this and just they cause a job. And, and the sun goes out and throws a, throws a bomb and knocks Maxwell Cole. Um, I liked it. I liked it. You know, that, that's the, that is kind of like a U.S. type perspective, but Hey, look, you know, a lot of times these guys are going to cross over to the U S and maybe make an aim or get a fight. You know, Hearn himself was already talking, Hey, I've got pro gray now. Of course he's also got caterall, but look, this is the type of stuff you're looking down the road because we know fights that can be made. So even though Hearn likes to fight outside guys more than other promoters, still sometimes it's, you know, what can be made. But, again, even if he's looking outside, I mean, PBC's got, a, of course, a lot of, a lot of American fighters and so does Top Rank. So if he's looking outside there, you're going to be maybe looking at some U.S. sensibility. So I like that. So, in other words, what I, what I really liked was I liked Dalton Smith's attitude that I'm still going to get the knockout here. I'm not going to jab for another round or two, let the referee stop the fight or the doctor and take a points win and then have everybody disappointed again. He showed the fire, and the firepower was legit. It was obviously a legit knockout. So he's shown the firepower enough now, even though it's a lower level of opposition, but so you can start to see firepower. It doesn't mean it's going to carry over against that upper opposition, but – and you can see Maxwell is, you know, he's been around on the British domestic level. You can see he knew Smith had some power, uh, that hit him not throwing as much, even against upper level opposition. I think Smith's showing enough power now that people are gonna have the minimum. Hey, this guy can punch. So I liked that. So I, I like I like Dalton Smith. Really credit to him, the fighter, his mentality, had the two cuts. Maybe was having another performance that wasn't the greatest in a row, row, even though he's winning, and he turned that around with firepower and resilience to fight through the cuts, For really, again, for the purpose of entertainment, because he was going to win the fight on points. So I liked, I liked the finish. I thought he, you take those factors, and he did get himself back on track.
1: Yeah, I like the way you sum that up. That That's a good call because that's exactly what he did. He's like, yeah, great, great, uh-huh. I'm going to knock him out. I'm going to go knock him <laughs> <Right>. out. Um, <laughs> I, love it. I love it. I love it. That's what's good. It's important. It's important, you know, for all the
2: broadcasters, you know, for us hardcore fight fans, which let's face it, that's who's watching these fights in, in
1: 2023. Yeah, that's
2: true. Uh, especially if you're watching the zone in the U.S. you know, on an afternoon and you're watching a fight in the U.K. So I want to see what the corners saying. And and that that's important because I did get to hear that. So I liked then what I saw out of Dalton Smith, the, the young fighter himself having a mentality that he wanted to get that knockout.
1: Yep. And I, I did watch a good chunk of that Shinga uh, fight that was on Matchroom, streaming on Matchroom. He looked really good. He easily won that fight. Um, and then I watched, you know, the Marshall – uh, fight as well. And like I said, people are kind of looking forward to her and Shields going at it again. Any other items from the weekend before we get into some uh, meaty matchups coming up between Stanonius, Ortiz Jr., and Enes Villa?
2: Yeah, I do think there's one good to just point out for me boxing lesson about rating fighters. Uh, and, you know, I've already voiced this in Transnational as you get ready for the new ratings. Yeah. You know, some people were looking at Esquiva Falco as a as a borderline top ten guy. A couple of things I want to point out: borderline top ten, just in the top ten. Transnational had him in at nine. I didn't think he belonged there. That was my opinion. You know, it's a, a majority type thing. So, and that that's fair enough. It's not a one man rule thing. But just saying what my take on it was, and you know, he lost to this guy, Gutierrez who was undefeated, but he had a very low KO percentage, and he got dropped a couple times. It was for the IBF belt. So what I'm trying to point out here, and I do think a lot of fans that should know better get fooled by this. And even some people doing ratings and things like this, just because this was for the IBF belt, which is total alphabet politics. Let's not start thinking this You know, As weak as the middleweight division is, that people calling him a world champ or you know he's a a legit top ten guy. I'm not faulting the guy for going out and winning the fight. Of course, that's his job and he should do it. But even in a a division that weak, you know this this guy's not a, a kind of threat. And then I think it's just a good time to point out these kind of things. Like, and then you'll have these alphabet fans who should know better. Like a year from now or something. Somebody will start trying to pick up these belts and say, oh, you know, he, he's, he's beat Guattieri, he's on the road to undisputed. You know, what, what, does, what does beating Guattieri mean, you know, just because the IBS puts an alphabet strap on him? It doesn't mean anything. You can't, you can't evaluate the sport by the alphabets even some people to me who know better and some writers who know better they try to advocate for it you can't you can't do it you just can't do it i wanted to point this out as it happened because this is one of those examples you know is this guy a world you know the ibf says he's a world champ what what kind of world champ you know let's let's keep and, and and in a weak division but that's still the case so you know, let let's let's keep that kind of stuff in perspective. I mean how, how how long how far would this guy go with, you know, Elijah Garcia? You know, not not far or, or Shakes Not far. So uh, let let's you know, keep keep this is just a good time as it happens to point it out. Keep perspective. Don't let the alphabets dictate to you and, and this is an example of why you can't get caught up. In the alphabet version
1: of undisputed,
2: you got to look at just you know, who the real champ is—the linear type of a concept.
1: Yep. All right, so we have ourselves some some interesting fight coming up. Um, I think, in some sense, you know, if Via is able to lo- land his big right hand and, and, and you know maintain some pressure on Boots and kind of crowd them and and, and that type of thing. Boots footwork on the move uh, and actually coming forward too can be a little funky. um, But I just don't know if this is style to exploit that, to be honest with you, but that could get interesting and it is a nice step up. And we talked about how this uh, opponent came organically because we had Rashidi Ellis, and he got beat, so the guy who beat him, they were talking about, you know, they were on the same card, and they were talking about, hey, you know, let's match this up next. And everybody was like, yeah, that seems like a good fight. Two unbeaten guys and all that, and via pulled the, the upset. So he definitely deserves uh, this fight. And, you know, there are some other, you know, Walter White fights out there that they're tied up at the moment. So I think this is a, a legit opponent. Um, and then stylistically. Sanonius and Ortiz Jr., I mean, there's just no way that's not a good fight, you know? Obviously, they both have power, or at least real, real pop in their punches. Um, They do sometimes just, you know, like to bang it out. Uh, They're pretty heavy on their front foot sometimes with their footwork. Speaking of footwork, um, if this fight is in the trenches the whole time, it probably favors Sanonius, Not to say Ortiz can't do damage with short punching, um, but just based off style, I just don't know how this isn't like a a top five, top ten type uh, fight of the year. I really think that we're going to get that. Let's start with the one more equally matched on paper, Stanonius and Ortiz. Um, You know, it's been in the making for a while. Stanonius had an issue Earlier in the year, then Ortiz had a reoccurring issue, and now they're going to get it on um, this Saturday. Um, and you know, it's, it seems like the main events are going to be to where you can watch them separately. If you look at the broadcast, now obviously that goes how you know the undercards uh, kind of play into that and how they how they're going to turn out. Um, there isn't as many. They'll probably be the Marlin Esparza will probably go the distance more than likely. Um, she's in a good fight against Alana, as I think her name is, Gabriella, if I remember correctly. Uh, but, you know, the other matchups, you know, who, who knows exactly how that goes. But um, it should be so you can watch both main events because you do have a quality fight like uh, uh, De Los Santos and Adorno. You know, at, at this, I think that's a pretty good fight for uh, Edwin De Los Santos, who, you know, has tried to get some other fights, haven't been able to come through. Hopefully, you know, the main events are on at separate times. But let's start with, like I said, this all-action, very stylistically entertaining fight with uh Onius and uh, Ortiz, Virgil Ortiz. Yeah, I agree. I I
2: actually don't see any way this can't be a good fight. It's rare that you can say that, but the styles match up where... I feel like you can say it on this one as well. I think that the difference for me in this one, since they signed it, is you know, Stannionis can do everything well to me, any pressure on, but the one thing I've always felt about him is he, he's underpowered for the style he fights in, and I think that that's going to be his undoing against Virgil Ortiz, who, you know, he's a puncher. He's got the perfect KO percentage. He can box, too. He has some amateur pedigree, and, uh, you know, they both do. But Virgil Ortiz is not some incompetent boxer or anything like that. But I think, you know, Stanionis, the way he fights, it's, it's always coming forward. He, he's got a good punch variety. And he does have some boxing skill and a jab, even though uh, he's a come-forward guy who has a very high volume. But he just you know, I was thinking of guys like that today a little bit like you know, even though of course there's there's differences in the style, but that's a little bit like a Sean Porter, you know, like Sean Porter for most of his career, you know, pressure, coming forward guy, but really didn't have that much pop, had good amateur pedigree. Uh you know, you saw later in his career he could box a you know, box if he wanted to, but come forward, a lot of pressure. You know, he's rougher than Stanonis, but you know, a little, but Porter didn't end up being that good of a puncher, you know, and in his career, if he would have had that kind of pop at that style, uh, you think of how tough he would have been, even though he was tough anyway. And I think Stanionas is a bit like that. Uh, you know, now he was fighting a guy in Gutayev who had a little more firepower than him, and that was a great fight, and he fought tremendously uh, and got, got the legit win and really fought a great fight. But I think. Ortiz brings even more firepower than Butaev, and I think that that's probably going to be the difference. Now, I'd always felt since the fight was signed, loved the fight, but I always felt for that reason, Ortiz was going to win. As getting in within a week of the fight, I started thinking about what you said, Chris, about you know Ortiz has had some of those problems with the you know, medical condition, you know, with the with the cutting weight and then Stanyon, but then you know you. Rem- I was think, looking at his record, and he just reminded me you know, Stanionis had had an issue, too, and he has a- actually been off longer than Virgil Ortiz. I just checked that before we went on. wanted to see the exact dates. Because this week, I was starting to think, well, you know, Ortiz has had this, these problems, and Stanionis is really going to bring it. You know, if Ortiz can't drop him a couple times or get out, get him out of there, he, he might just get out-hustled, but... Then I was looking at that Butaya fight was a really tough fight, even though Stan on to me clearly won it, but a really tough fight, and he's been off since then over a year, so with all that's happened, he's actually been off longer than Virgil Ortiz has so for me, that just got me back to my thoughts when the fight was first signed. I was just as we got close, I was starting to think, then you know maybe. Stan is going to be sharper, and he comes at you with such volume, even though he doesn't have the pop, he might just be able to fight at a pace that Ortiz can't keep up with. But then I'm thinking, no, being off even longer than Ortiz, they've both had an issue, as you said. I just think that I got stick with my initial thought that Ortiz, the firepower is going to be the, the difference here. He's just got too much pop compared to, Stan Onis, and I think that that's the, the difference between the two. Uh, Stan is going to come with a high volume and all punches, uh, all variety of punches, but I think with his aggressive style and being off over a year, is he going to be able to just keep doing that with, without getting hurt by Ortiz? I don't think so. And I, I haven't really settled it if was going to be a stoppage or go the distance, but I do think for Ortiz to win this fight, he he has to hurt Yotis repeatedly and either get him out of there or, or, or drop him or, or badly hurt him, discourage him. I think he will do that. But I will say this: you know, Spaniotes is tough and really hasn't been in any serious trouble in his career. And Butaya is a puncher. If if Ortiz can't hurt him, I think Spaniotes out hustles him. I, I I do think that. I mean, I, I think. Ortiz has to has to put serious hurt on Stanionis in this fight to win it. I think that he will, but I, I would say that sometimes it is better just to break down all different scenarios. You kind of have a better prediction on the fight, not hedging it, but just of different things that can happen. I would say that if Ortiz can't hurt Stanionis, and Stanionis hasn't really been hurt so far in his career, but he's by far facing the best puncher he's faced and his toughest opponent. Um, but if Ortiz can't hurt him, I think Stan Yonis will hustle him because he, he brings the pressure for real. Sometimes he reminds me, too, a little bit of a of a Golovkin without the pop. You know, Golovkin had the big power uh, in both hands, and Stan Yonis does not have that. But the other punch variety and, and sometimes how he fights can remind me a little bit of Golovkin as well. So just thinking of some things. That, that he reminds me of but Ortiz so yeah far, the I think power,
1: that's a good that seems about right
2: yeah when you just look at some of the things he does in the ring you see some similarities there but but Ortiz the power has been there in every fight you know in, in, including against guys like uh who you know bring some firepower so you know it's been there every time for Ortiz I think it I think it'll be there again, but he, he's going to have to hurt Stan Yonis. He's going to have to really hurt him and discourage him, uh, put some hurt on him or Stan Yonis will just keep, keep coming. And I don't think he would you know, stop Ortiz. I don't think he's got that kind of pop, but, but he could, he could out hustle him. So I'm with you. This I don't see any way that, that this isn't a good fight.
1: Yeah. I'm, um, I think Ortiz, the, the power, you know, is is definitely um, is going to be the you know, bo is going to be the overwhelming thing. I agree with you. Both of them have power, and like I said, at least real pop in their punches. But I would put the pop and in onius and the power, uh, you know, for Ortiz. Um, and Stanonius at times, you know, they both kind of employ a high guard. Um, at times he'll you know, because he comes forward a lot, and at times he'll just lean in so far and it just seems like you know, hooks to the head and body he'll be there for, not just the uppercut. Um, and, you know, Sanonius is really, you know, speaking of high guard, both of them use it, like I said, hooks with both hands is, is uh, you know, bread and butter, no doubt about it. So I think he can definitely have plenty of success. I think both both guys can jab pretty well. I'd say Ortiz, once again, has the power with that. Um, and like I was saying, like, they're front foot heavy. A lot of times they kind of commit even with their jab. When when uh, Sanonius jabs, he's really front, front foot heavy, doesn't always uh, get on the back foot again, and I don't mean back foot moving. Um, so I think that they're – I think that, you know, both guys can be countered. Uh, especially Ortiz up close, but I just don't know because you know when he jabs, it's powerful. But he does, you know, he's in kind of rough position after he does it at times. I just don't know if Stannonius will have the the ability to counter enough. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, I mean, kind of like if, it, like I said earlier, if this thing's at close range the whole time, those short hooks, I really think. Not that Ortiz can't do damage there, but Stanonius is that's his bread and butter, whereas, you know, on the inside in kinda of at range in a comfortable spot, Ortiz I don't know, man. Bolton don't have great footwork, but I think, you know, Stanonius has more issues with that. Um and he kinda of pulls out of the pocket to reset and he's just in bad uh positioning. But um yeah, I do think um You know, I do think Ortiz will win, and I think he can knock him out. I mean, he has knocked out everybody he's been in the ring with. Um, And you made a good point. Um, I think it was last – let me check really quick. I think it was last – yeah, last April where he fought McKinnison. Now, he had been out of the ring for a year prior to that, so I guess if you backed it up. But Sannonius hasn't been the most active guy either. So he's the one who got – you know, had an injury first when it came to this. Um, I guess Ortiz didn't have an injury; he had a health issue that uh, has come up, you know, more than once. But you're right; that was, you know, mid. That was actually on the undercard of uh, uh, that Butzia fight was on the undercard of uh, Ugas and Spence. So yeah, it has been a little while uh, since he fought, so he does have an advantage there. But yeah, I think it's going to be 20-0 with 20 KOs. I wouldn't be shocked if uh, Stanonius made it, you know, the 12 rounds. I definitely wouldn't be shocked, but I just think, much like you, you know, he'll find the openings, Ortiz, and I think he'll just make them count a little bit more. Um, now, on the other side of it, Boots Ennis, and uh, so we got Ennis via Some interesting, potentially, uh, a fight on the undercard. Um, but, you know, this really – I've seen recent um, posts on Twitter by people I respect – talking about via and his uh him showing flashes of Madonna, uh having Madonna vibes but i definitely wouldn't say as aggressive as him uh that's for sure um but the you know it, i think it all comes down to landing his big right hand for via you know that that's what it feels like it comes down to because we have seen boots in multiple fights by the right hand um I think coming forward, funny enough, Boots, speaking of footwork, I don't know. Sometimes it can be exploited coming forward, but I just don't, you know, Via is generally the aggressor, so I don't really put that in play. And, and, you know, his footwork isn't that great either. So I think that um, Ennis will have to attack at range at times stopping via in his tracks and making him show up. And at times I think pushing him back because if he can push him back at times, and I'm not saying for round after round after round, but if he could stop him in his tracks and kind of, you know, pivot and circle him and keep the attack going, like we know with those fast hands, those speedy combinations, very accurate and powerful. And once he gets you hurt and we know Ennis goes for the kill. Um, So I just, I, I think he can stop Via's attack, stop him in his tracks, and at times, like I said, push him back. Um, but Boots definitely needs to be patient, kind of find his his timing before engaging in a, a three or four punch combination with Via. Um, the, the jab for both of them, of course, you know, usually that's a very important thing. Uh, I think to occupy Via would be helpful, but obviously, you know, Via trying to open up. Power shots. It'd be pretty smart if he could jab, and that's where the Maidana thing. I can see what people are talking about, especially kind of that overhand right. At times, it lands on the back of necks and stuff like that, and and, and how he he'll just keep coming. He's got a good chin and whatnot. But will he be able to jab once Maidana got with Robert Garcia? And to be fair, he was having like three and four week camps. Uh, Prior to to that And he got with a legit trainer Got him a jab and got him a full training camp I'm not saying Maidana was a complete different fighter But he showed offensively He was a a lot better at that time But um, yeah I just think that that Boots if he takes his time And and, and tries to get his timing Be patient before you throw Those big combinations I, I think Boots this style Does match up well Rather than having to chase because we did see when he had to chase, in his last guy, Karen, he did move you know a lot on the outside, but at times, especially later in the fight, he would kind of circle him and get boots you know out of position and uh in land done for me late, and you know in his last fight, boots didn't look like quote on you know,
2: quote-unquote, boots that we had seen. Yeah, I, I think in this, I like this matchup a lot. Um, you know, Villa pulled that surprise where he really handled Boca Chica, who had, had been on a good streak up to that point. And then he was able to carry that over rallying, you know, against Ellis. But, you know, Boots Ennis to me is just, different than those guys he, he's on a, he's on a different level i think he can just do about everything sometimes to me there's been some moments he's a little bit inaccurate uh but really that's all i've seen that i, I question you know the, the fight with the karen guy was one of those guys not really engaging yeah it wasn't it wasn't the greatest performance we're used to him going right through everybody but i don't think too much alarm you know, Via's going to be there for him. And, and the more we break it down, I like this fight, and I like Via. He's shown a lot of toughness, but I think, as you just mentioned, Chris, I mean, he's, he's not really going to have to look for Via. And the more I, I think about this fight, you know, Via's got some pop, but Ennis isn't going to have to look for him. And, you know, even is obviously one of the tougher opponents Ennis has fought, but the more I think about who Villa's fought, he, he hasn't fought anybody like Ennis. You know, Rashidi Ellis, is in a guy with with real good pop, and, you know, of course, Boca Chica's not anything on the level of uh, Ennis, and, you know, you know, the rest of Villa's opponents aren't that good, and he's got the one, I think, split decision loss. Uh, you know, he's shown that's not too much to make a deal out of, but still, this, this is going to be, a, a per, even though he fought Rashidi Ellison, got that win, rallied. This is a this is an even bigger step up, and I think as long as Ennis isn't too tentative, you know, Via does have pop, but I, I could see a scenario where with Via being right there for him, even though I do like this fight, that Ennis just overwhelms him, you know, in in the first half of the fight. I think that that is within the realm of possibility in this one, even though I like the matchup a lot. But I think it's the type of situation where, you know, Bootsen is just, is at that point now where he, he probably is ready, so to speak. I mean, he's got to wait his turn in the sense that we've got Spence and Crawford fighting for the, you know, everybody's championship. It's the clear, clear one and two guys in the division. So, you know, no alphabet stuff needed. So, obviously, that's a fight that we wanted. It needs to happen. It's happening later this month. Then when the dust settles from that, whatever happens, uh, Ennis, you know, he comes away with this win. You know, people are going to be looking to him. He really, he really is the next guy. He made the right move, I think, you know, getting with PBC, with all the weights they have. And, and I still think that it's the division with the most depth in boxing. So that's really where you can get a fight with a guy like Villa when Ennis is a guy who, Nobody's really going to be too anxious to fight. At least TBC can get us a fight where he's in with Via, and that's a good Showtime main event. I like it, but I would say there is going to be a point in this fight where Ennis is going to be able to overwhelm Via because Via's real tough. He's got pop, but he's going to be right there for Ennis, and I think for for Ennis, a guy that's right there, uh, he he just brings too much to the table. Like I said, once in a while I've, I've seen him be a hair inaccurate, but really outside of that there there isn't anything i've seen i uh, really question with him
1: yeah i agree um and then let's see here so just get your take on stanonius as a dog i'm on my bookie plus 305 i'm seeing him range anywhere from a plus 280 on fan duel bet gm mgm plus 300, all the way up to plus – actually, Betway has plus 400, Bet 365, plus 33, or 333, 320. Well, is it worth a flyer on Stan though? Because yeah, Virgil I, I can be hit too, to... plenty, right? I mean, we know Virgil can be hit. Maybe if you back it down. up with a knockout or something.
2: A lot of times I say no, but I think it it probably is here, and that's what I was looking at earlier in the week, Chris. When I saw how big of a favorite Ortiz was becoming and how big of an underdog Stanionis was becoming, I was thinking, hey, you know, Ortiz has had that health issue. He hasn't fought for a long time. You know, Stanionis is going to bring the volume. And if you can't hurt him and get him out of there, he's going to beat you. I mean, I do think the fight goes that way. I think if Ortiz can't drop Stanionis a couple times or knock him out, uh, he's going to lose a decision. I I just think Stanionis, he, he brings too much pressure, too much volume. But what then got me where I didn't feel like it was a straight pick changing where I always felt Ortiz was Stanionis has been off even longer than Ortiz. And that's one thing you do notice in boxing. You watch boxing for long enough. That's one thing is you become a veteran in, in things and get older watching things. There's even science behind that. You do start to see patterns that are, that are accurate that sometimes uh, people less experienced don't see. And what I'm getting at is patterns you see in boxing when a high-volume guy is off, has a long layoff. That, that, that can hurt. In other words, you know, and that to me is Onis. Like he's been, he hasn't fought for over a year, I think it is now. So, you know, he he's the high volume guy. So that's the thing that that you know, again, getting back to your your straight question, worth a flyer. I still think he has gotten to that point where he's worth a flyer, and I'm just making sure, but checking. But this does concern me. The Butaya fight was on. April 16th, 2022. So, you know, he's been off almost 15 months, and he's a high-volume guy. That I don't like. And his fight before that was the Colasso fight, which, you know, you had the headbutt issue and and got stopped early. So, you know, now he looked great against Gutierrez, but that was a really tough fight. That was a really tough fight. So I think... When you get a high volume guy who's been off that long a time, that that can be tough to you know. Then, then kind of you got to get in there and you know fight with that kind of volume, that kind of intensity after being off for over a year. That can be difficult. So I think he still has probably gotten to territory where yes, just on the flyer he is worth it. I don't think that's a waste of money. But if if he if he'd been slightly more active, I would I would have at this point the way the odds have gotten, I would have. I think I would have said, yeah, you might as well put it on Stanionis. It's not worth it on Ortiz for how good Stanionis is, the way the odds have gotten. But I just hate the fact that Stanionis has actually been off a little longer than Ortiz.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's not, it's not something that I thought of either. It's like, oh, yeah, you're right. You're right, because there was this whole waiting game for Crawford and Spence. Then that fell apart. Then they had to figure out what they were going to do, and then they got two different delays. And yeah, that's that's a good that that could, like you said, this could be intense. <laughs> so yeah, that that's that is a good point. Um, any other items that you'd like to talk about? Obviously, we got the undisputed against undisputed. Uh, Jermell Charlo going up and wait to face Canelo Alvarez on September 30th, among other news out there. If you do feel like talking about it, Thurman Uga sounds like that's going to be a done deal. We've kind of heard about that the last couple of weeks, but um, any thoughts because you know, the, the undisputed versus undisputed um, you know, history wise it has, it doesn't happen a lot as we know. Um, some people i don't know my my thought process john is like if if people were okay with the Jermall fight then i think they should probably be okay with this because canelo at those weight classes like 168 and whatnot it's not his size that's winning him the fights now you could say some guys lately he's been walking down and looking the land you know crazy to the body and then knock you out hurt you and knock you out and stop you but it's because he's just been the better fighter clearly in a lot of these fights uh, at 168 obviously Bibble 175 and it just seemed like stylistically Bibble gave him issues beyond him though I don't Jermel Charlo to me is just as good a fighter as any guy that he's faced since Golovkin part two you know, uh, in my opinion, and I'll let you speak for yourself. But um, size, I don't think is going to play as big a part. And we know a certain style that Canelo has issues with. And if 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 in fact Mel is on his game, where he's he's worrying about winning rounds, he's using his jab, he's using his movement, he's counter and doing some of that impromptu stuff that he can do even when he's on the rope some of those counter shots he was landing against Castaño. I just think it's a competitive fight. I mean, I've seen, you know, Caleb Plant won, you know, more than one round against him. Like, I, I, I don't – people either think it's going to be he's going to get knocked out like Amir Khan. Well, Amir Khan was winning that fight. But to me, Jermel hasn't been knocked down and knocked out a bunch or something like that like Khan had. Khan went up with a bad chin. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Obviously it's a selling point. You know, Charlo is going to sell the fight. He's had a lot of Fox exposure. He's been the hotter fighter. In fact, I saw a lot of comments saying, I think Mel deserves the fight more than mall because we haven't seen, you know, uh, a, 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 a in his prime, great performance out of mall since 2020, you know, um, what are your thoughts though? Uh, I'm, I'm here giving my take. I'm trying to ask yeah. your take.
2: <laughs> no, yeah, I did. I mean, I was first of all, I was shocked when this fight was announced. I, like everybody else, thought it might be a mistake at first, and it was when I saw it wasn't. But I was pleasantly surprised. I probably think Jermall Charlo is a better fighter than a lot of people do, but you know, out of the two, in terms of really abilities, we you know, we haven't seen it as much lately, like you said, but. I actually thought because of his fire, his. I it's funny, they're identical twins. So I don't. It is kind of silly to say natural firepower it doesn't make sense. They're identical twins. And I, you know, I pointed that out to people sometimes because you got to think about, hey, these, these guys are identical twins. But at least in their career, as they, they both got launched, it was Jamal who was always showing the firepower and he had skill too. So I always kind of liked him better as a fighter but then Jermell and I've said it before out of all the fighters I've observed for decades I never remember a guy developing punching power as his career went on like he did legitimately uh you know when he went over to Derek James so however that came together it definitely did and and he became an entertaining fighter and now he is the guy in the better position. So for people that want to argue they like this better, I do agree because even though Jermel Charlo has been off some now with a hand injury since the great Castanio two performance, so he's been more active. He's been on a better role. He's coming off arguably a career best victory. So, yeah, I do think in that sense it's a better fight. Then the weight thing obviously comes up. this to me is one to go to the traditional analysis, which I always do. I always go to my analysis because I feel like these other weight classes have just been created by the alphabets and, you know, they would have been a middleweight. Right. So I always go on that. So he he would have been a middleweight in the original eight and Canelo would be light heavy. So now, you know, Chris, the way I do it, because we've talked about it enough, that is a one weight class jump, which is legit. So that's, to me where you do take the weight into account so I'm not going to knock people who are saying well we got to look at the weight here you do but I mean that's just that's a one weight class jump that's that's been done traditionally it's just it's where it's going to matter but you know Michael Spinks did it against Larry Holmes you know Dick Tiger came up from middleweight you know one light heavyweight title you know Archie Moore was a middleweight at one point you know James Tony was a middleweight worked his way up you know Roy Jones got a heavyweight when he was a middleweight. So it's been done. And then what you got to add in is what you've said, you know, the the size of Canelo, you know, he's about five, nine. So, you know, he's not, he's not Bob Foster. You know, he's not Michael Spinks at light heavyweight. So that, that definitely matters. He's going to, he's going to have some strength, but he also had fought at 154 pounds for a long period of time, which is where, Jermell Charlo fought for a long period of time. Jermell Charlo's the taller guy. That's just a fact. So I think you you can't knock anybody for taking it into account, but the people that are saying mismatch and this is a joke, that's the wrong analysis here. It's more like when you're talking about these, you know, Jermell Charlo may end up proving he is a great fighter. You know, if you don't want to consider him that already, I haven't really thought about it, you know, you know, has he done enough? Do you consider him great? Maybe you do already with what he's done in this era, but you know, if he's going to be a great fighter or already is, those are the kind of guys that can do things like that. So in fact, that's one of the reasons I use that test because when you look at the very best and you can use that test with the Floyd Mayweather, you can use it with a Manny Pacquiao. It always works to me. Uh, There's some guys who are great without it, but you know, people who've done this are always great, but the, the people who really could fight at the top of two of the traditional eight weight classes, you know, like if you're, you know, you're Floyd Mayweather and you could fight at the top at lightweight and welterweight, you know, Roberto Duran, you know, lightweight, welterweight, then, you know, he's beating Iran Barkley at middleweight, you know, Sugar Ray Leonard was able to, you know, win the lineal, Real welterweight title and the middleweight title against Marvin Hagler. The, the, these are things that the greats do. So it, it is a legit. You know, you're taking that that more of that type of step at greatness, especially as you pointed out. Even if he was faded, some he was he was at, at worst a top three legit light heavyweight at the time. You know, Canelo's knocked out Kovalev. So I always keep that in mind. Already right, lost the decision to all, but he, he's proven he can fight at light heavyweight because. He loses a decision to a top guy at light heavyweight, even though he's not tall for the division. You know, when these other people say, "No, he's absolutely not a light heavyweight." Well, he might not be tall for one. Yes, I agree, but he can he can fight at light heavyweight. So it's really like a it's really like a top middleweight taking on a top light heavyweight, and the top light heavyweight fought at middleweight for a long period of time. So. I think you take it into account, but I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal. But one thing I do think, and this just has to do with the fighters as much as the weight, uh, I'm going to say this even despite the role he's been on, I don't think Jermell Charlo can hurt Canelo. And that doesn't mean he can't win the fight, but let's go to that analysis. Canelo's got arguably the best chin in boxing. He has been fighting at the higher weight. He's never been down. Jermell right. Charlo had that long stretch of his career where he was not a puncher then did become a puncher. But to me, then, that's a different bridge. Like, he's not hurting – and just even the way Jermel Trello punches, he's not hurting Canelo Alvarez, in my opinion. I'm going to go into that. Is there enough pop to
1: keep him off him? Because that'll be the ultimate uh, question, pop to keep him off him.
2: I actually don't think there's pop to keep him off him, but I think here's the thing. Even though I love the, the fight with intrigue, I do think we have a scenario here where it's not that good of a fight because I think both guys will probably go low volume. I think you're going to see the Jermel Charlo. We saw him come back partially against Castaño, even though he got a knockout. It was a best career performance because, Chris, you know, you agree too. Um, It was the first time ever then we saw the boxer Jermel Charlo combined with that puncher Jermel Charlo that developed later on. And I was thinking that before. I didn't think we were going to get that ever I always thought, like, man, if Jamel Charlo could ever put those two things together, think right. of how good he would be. He did that against Castanho in the rematch. It was, to me, amazing. Like, you know, Castanho, a very good fighter, but that's why he got knocked out. It was like, it was an amazing performance by Jamel Charlo where he put the boxer with the jab, Jamel Charlo, together with that later developing puncher, Jamel Charlo. And it was an amazing performance, but I don't think he can do that against Canelo with the power. And I think he's even going to know that. But now that he's shown me that he can still go into his toolbox and pull that out. And Canelo has had problems with a guy like Bivol with the jab. I think this idea that Bivol was beating up Canelo and and doing this dominance is absurd. He won the fight. Yes. He won the fight, but it was one of his typical, not a, a little better than he had been, but not aggressive performances. You know, his fans, where he throws a five-punch combo and lands one on Canelo. That, to me, just keeps being comical. But, you know, he gave him trouble with the jab. Um, you know, that's Bivol's thing, uh, especially as he's gotten more and more cautious in his career. And But Jamel Charlo can do that. you got to go back, but, but yet you don't have to go so far back because he did it a little bit in the Castañeda rematch. So... I think he will know that in Derrick James. I don't think you're going to see puncher Jermell Charlo. I think you're going to see jabbing, occasional right-hand Jermell Charlo. And that's probably going to give Canelo some trouble. And Canelo will go real low volume a lot of times when he gets trouble. Now, he pushed it against Lara and I think pulled it out where, you know, he was just trying to bang the body. It wasn't always pretty. But I do think he edged that out by, like, making that effort. But – I don't think we see that as much from him now as he's getting older. Like, I think people are just kind of in their mind thinking they're going to see this Canelo that moves forward. And he's throwing a lot. I don't think we're going to see that anymore. So, And that's why he had a little bit of trouble against Vival because you know, that, that, the way Vival was fighting, you, you got to go volume, and he didn't really want to do that. He probably thought, this guy's not hurting me. He's not doing much. You know, I might get to this decision. You know, he he didn't deserve it. But I do think he really might have been thinking that. I don't even mean corrupt judging. I just mean like he, you know, just like I said, same thing, Mikey Garcia against Sandor Martin. I think they're in the ring. They're really saying, you know, this, this guy's not hurting me. He's not doing squat. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll get I'll get that on the cards. And they didn't get it. Um, you know, he's probably not going to – he's probably going to realize he can't quite do that against, you know, Jamel Charlo. But I think he's going to – he's going to probably look to box some too. And, and if Jermell goes to box, it, it might not be that. It'll be an intriguing fight, but it might not be all that entertaining. Now, if for some reason Jermell goes with the puncher Jermell that he'd been doing, except for this Castanio rematch where he had a mix, I mean, then, then I think it could be entertaining, but I don't I don't think Jermell Trello is going to beat Canelo with that style. I don't think he can hurt him. So uh, I think if that happened, like it, if Jermell Trello is not bringing back boxer Jermell some, he's not going to win this fight. But I do think he can make it a less entertaining fight, jab, occasional right hand, Canelo, low volume, get a decision. I think that's within the realm of possibility. I think people who are saying that can't happen are just wrong.
1: Yeah, I'm definitely intrigued in the fight, but... um... Yeah, it's funny because, like you said, he's never been down, Canelo. And I was live in attendance, the most hurt he's been with Cotto's brother. Had him on the ropes, he was hurt. Funny enough, you could make the argument that the most hurt visually um, of Mayweather's career was that same night in the main event with Mosley, those two right hands in the second round. Yes, so I think I, I think saw Mayweather funny. and Canelo at their most hurt times in their own career, funny enough. All the way back in 2010 um but yeah i i like the idea of it i, I love like getting shocked like you said because that rarely happens nowadays um usually it is the pbc doing it but still it rarely happens you know and when you're just like yeah, okay. oh wow okay that'll that's awesome like i just didn't see it and you know Mel has been a guy that was disrespected for a long time off of his fighting style. And then even like the Harrison, a lot of people would always use that first Harrison uh, loss, which you and I and many other, I would say more than when I say majority, let's talk about like owning a business, right? Over 50%. I think most people thought he did enough to win that first fight. No, he was down on the cards. I believe, like on my scorecard, on our scorecard, in the second fight. But that's great and all. It was six to four, but he got the knockout. So, and especially the way he's been doing it, you know, you could say, okay, well, he, he didn't. I don't think he lost the Harrison fight, but you could make that clean argument that he probably lost the, you know, the first fight with Castanio. But look how he responded. I just, I think a lot of it comes off that that e s p n guy that runs the account and does some writing for them uh, you know about his uh acid nine uh thoughts on one sixty being better than one fifty four and just disrespecting maul or Mel I should say but um yeah, I think it's an interesting fight and in no matter what you give Canelo a list of names and he picks them that's how it goes with these stars so don't be mad at Jermell Charlo for taking this fight. you got to be out of your mind if you're mad at him. And then in Tim Zhu, I get it. He's disappointed. That fight could still happen at some point um, in the future maybe, you know, at middleweight or whatever. But, you know, just say the old, oh, he's ducking me. Oh, he's ducking you to go fight Canelo. Okay, dude, you know. You can say Canelo duck Benavides if you want. Whatever they're not fighting, and that's the you know whatever. He, that's like the best shot to beat them. That's what a lot of people say at one sixty eight. And I, I I understand that. I guess you could throw Morell in with this style. He doesn't have the experience though. But um, let's not take it out on Mel. He deserves this shot.
2: No, it's really simple. Like some people said, and I completely agree. Look if Tim Zhu would have been offered the Canelo fight by PBC instead of your Mel yeah. Carlow, they want to have it in Australia or something. He'd be, he'd be on the, you know, he'd be on the plane back to Australia or Canelo, you know, he'd be playing Canelo first first yeah. to announce the yeah, fight right.
1: out there. <laughs> right.
2: You know, I mean, you, you tell me he's not taking it. So, I mean, let's not be ridiculous. All I hope with, and, and I think people make too much out of some of this stuff. Look, good, good wins, but you know, because, Tib Tib you know, beat Tony Harrison at Ocampo. You know, pe- people like they have amnesia. Like Tony Harrison had, you know, had a draw with Perella and it's where he shouldn't have gotten the decision. And as you said correctly, he didn't deserve the decision in the Charlo fight either. And that, and you know, people go, Zo deserves this fight. He deserves this fight." I'm not saying it wasn't, you know, a good fight that I wasn't looking forward to seeing, but your key perspective, again, forget the alphabet nonsense, and look, Zoo would have taken the Canelo fight, so what I'm hoping just works out here because I I did just like that Zoo went with T B C and was looking to get better fights instead of just staying in Australia uh, and fighting lesser guys and maybe just getting that WBL alphabet. Yep. So I for that, leaves, I, I mean, I'm not going to do the, like, these others like oh he deserves this. Charlie, well got to know, well, now. Everybody's gonna take that fight too. But but with that said, I would like to see PBC take care of Zoo because Zoo did you know take that step up chance going with PBC looking for bigger and better fights. I like that like everybody else does. I thought that was a good gutsy move. I like that out of him. And I, I, I'm hopefully I, it's paying off on him. I'm guessing it probably is. So I think what
1: He's still I mean, in good the way position Fox, with plenty of good fights, and he's the A side of the whole division right now, John, right?
2: Right, and, and even though it doesn't necessarily go with certain alphabets, we know the alphabets make up whatever they want to and things. I'm going to take a right. guess oh, yeah. that if BBC is going to take care of him, maybe he gets the winner of that mendoza Fondora rematch, and people will want to see that. So that might be a start. That's just a guess.
1: That's, me, I mean, Jesus Ramos know. isn't that far off either. You know, they, they got some well, guys right. over there. You can keep fighting. But that's what I
2: was thinking. But but that that might not be much of a president if PBC PB, if says. Yeah, if that's not, yeah, Ramos. that's a good
1: way. That's a, yeah, good clarification there. Yeah, that's that's not a good president at all, actually.
2: That's what I think because the,
1: I, I've debated
2: <laughs> some Aussie guys who say that, and not just Aussies, others. But I disagree with them. You know, all you know. Ramos isn't in zoo's league and stuff. And I'm thinking I disagree. And I'm thinking maybe PBC offers that, but I'm thinking if you're the zoo people, are you taking that one? I don't, I, I think, I don't think he wants to test himself that far. Tony Harrison at Ocampo is okay, but Jesus Ramos, I mean, and you know, maybe Al Hayman will do that. And say you want this? You want Ramos? We'll, we'll pay you to take on Ramos. Right. Uh, I, I, let's see I mean, if, if he takes that one on, I'll really say he, he is gutsy, but I would take, uh, it's like I said and we'll see. Maybe they still get it. But I, I did say it before the fact. I said, man, David Benavides is going to take that morale risk. That seems like a high risk, low reward
0: for yeah, you know, Benavides. Seem position.
2: To make much sense. And, and then it kind of fell apart. And that's what I would kind to mm-hmm. think with like a zoo Ramos, you know, if that the zoo's is not going to get solo. Yeah, Carlo. I think like, that's one that will take is. out. Yeah, you want to take out a Ramos now because I think it'll blow away Garcia. Probably not. But I could see. Look, Fondora's showing vulnerabilities now, even though he's a tricky package. Mendoza is tough, but, you know, he has some limitations. So I would think Zoo would look at either of those guys and say, yeah, you know, I, I can do that. That might be a pretty good money fight for me on the role I'm on. You know, I, I know that's like a WBC alphabet thing instead of WBO, but I look at it like, and this is true of all promoters, PBC and all the rest of them, you know, they can get in bed with the alphabets and make some stuff up. So uh, that's the way I would do that.
1: Yeah, that's fair. Any other items uh, before we get you out of here, sir? Thanks for tweaking your schedule and being able to hop in on a Monday night. Definitely wasn't going to do a show on the, the 4th of July, you know?
2: Yeah. Good, good, good broad. See, we talked about broadcasting strategy, Chris, and you see, you get that. See, <laughs> that, that's why you've been it. You've been doing this for a while, so you get it. It does matter <laughs> what time you put things on. Yeah, no, no sense in us doing the Fourth of July podcast, even for the hardcores.
1: Yeah, it's rough once you get to the conference final and the finals for the NBA. It's like, uh, you do not want to go head to head with them, even on Twitter. Like, it just you're not going to get much. You're not going to get much. You know, it's just not almost worth it unless you do it like during the early afternoon or something like that. All right, John, I appreciate you, and we should be going back to the uh, normal Tuesday night uh, uh, schedule next week.
2: Well, Chris, great great being here as always. And as you mentioned, this is a really good weekend event of entertaining fights with those two main events. So uh, let's uh, hope they live up to expectations. I think they will, and
1: we'll have an enjoyable weekend. Yeah, especially in the dead set of summer too, you know? I mean, it just turned July like – this is this is good to, to know what we have near the end of the month to still have fights now. It just we're really getting spoiled. Uh, although we deserved it as boxing fans, <laughs> um, we're really getting spoiled this year. Yeah, that's
2: the new strategy they're going to go in the summer where they don't have to uh, take on take on college or pro football. So yeah, that that's why we're, we're getting a lot of good stuff.
1: All right, you take it easy. Have a good night. Enjoy the holiday tomorrow. You
2: too, you too Chris. Happy 4th of July.
1: Yes, sir. All righty. Great mind there. Boxing. Well, and a lot of other stuff. Law. In order. I'm not not trying to paint him as a Reagan guy. (laughs) I'm just playing it. Um, But, yeah, Tim Zhu will probably take on the guy who's been stepping aside for, like, three fights. Uh, Merzaliev or whatever the hell his name is. That's my guess. Uh, Charles Conwell. Be kind of smart to sign with the pbc or showtime or something to be honest with you because he's in range well actually hold on he's in ra- what am i saying i kind of forgot maybe that's what he will maybe mendoza whoever wins that fundora mendoza maybe conwell will be next because the wbc he's ranked number one right now um boca chuck is is two boha chuck i think that's what it is Jesus Ramos three, Fondora. Uh, Madrimov, and Lubin. You know, Lubin's going to linger here, too. WBA will probably be Madrimov and Kurbanov. Now, you know, he's going to leave, but we'll see which belts put on the pressure because he can come back, you know what I mean? Um, it's funny. I just I just looked at it in that that dude who's been taking step-aside money, he's also in the IBF who, generally speaking, anyway, Necessarily of late so much, but generally speaking, uh, is quicker on the draw when it comes to uh, enforcing mandos. He's got Jack Cloquet second. Now the new rankings could be Jesus Ramos in second place too. My point is, would you rather take on uh, Tim Zoo for a belt WBO, or would you rather take on Cloquet if, in fact, that's the ranking? Now, Jesus Ramos could get a big win, which I think he will uh, in a quality opponent coming up on the Spence Crawford, right, with Garcia. Maybe he moves to number one or number two, and then all of a sudden it's a tougher fight. Maybe, you know, I I don't know. But it it all kind of matters what, you know, it may come down to right after the fight, you know, like, hey, um, he's going to go in there undisputed. The fight's going to happen by September 30th. Because that's that's the uh, you got to make the fight. Remember, they ruled off of the injury for Jamal or Jamel excuse me, um, that it, the fight had to happen by September 30th,
2: or otherwise
1: he would be stripped. Well, that night, the next the next morning, Monday morning, they'll probably strip him, and he'll probably who knows what he does. He may give that up. He may come back. Well, they probably give it up and have a unification later. Who the fuck knows? He may. You know, settle in at middleweight. Like I said, I didn't expect Jermell um, to stay at 154 much longer. In my mind, I thought he was going to be out of here next, but I do think it's not so much the weight, although getting punched at 168, that could be an issue. Um, but that pop, you know, will he have enough pop? Because we don't know. You know, his brother going up to 160 from 54 – his knockout power didn't really precede him. Didn't follow him up there. That's not to say that Mel's wouldn't, but when you go up two-way classes, eh, you know, we'll, we'll see. Um, but as far as size and all that, he's, you know, Maul's bigger, but Mel's just about as big, and he's definitely taller and has the reach. I mean, most people at middleweight and beyond um, have the reach. I mean, even at one hundred and fifty-five, his own weight, most people have the reach on Canelo anyway. You know what I mean? Um, but I think the all-purpose defense, offense, counter, footwork—I just think overall, Jermell's a better fighter than Jamal at this point. You know, uh, through through their career so far. But hopefully Jermal gets, uh, you know, the stuff handled outside the ring because I know he's had a lot of issues with that, and he's really going through it, and he's admitted it. He's come out. I'm not saying he's done a bunch of stuff wrong or anything like that. I'm not talking about outside the ring that way. But he's come out and, and talked about it in an interview. Um, and, you know, we can we can say Toppinger and, and Dan Raphael and these guys now are saying, oh, he – He actually, they switched this the last second, and he he wasn't in the right mental state. Uh, So, you know, he wasn't even on the, you know, he switched and said he couldn't train and stuff like that and be ready for it. You know, these are the people that said it was going to be Jamal Charlo. I, I don't know about that. To be honest with you, the surprise originally before the the actual announcement, right? Just the the first thing that he went with the PBC, which I didn't think was crazy that he did that because he had been offered these fights plenty of times before Canelo. And I was kind of surprised when I heard Jermall because I was like, man, he's been out of the ring for two and a half years. Has he actually got the stuff figured out with the divorce and all that? He clearly wasn't... He was still dealing with stuff. Um, you could tell just with that interview, you know, he's been training now. But the my thing with Maul is now is the time to make the Carlos Adamas fight and put it right here in the Army. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but you know what I'm saying? Like, this is the time to make that fight at the end of the year, whenever, whenever he comes back. But, yeah, I mean – I was more surprised that Maul was actually on the table for this fight because he had been out of the ring so long. I know he had some back issues, whatever. So, some, now people like Dan and, and you know people are saying, "Oh, he actually got hurt again." You know, I don't know. One thing I know is we're going to at least hear from the fighter side. Mel, Mel is going to say what he's going to say. Let, let's figure that out. They'll probably talk to Maul too. And let's, let's hear their side before we just believe that, you know, had you have, had you have asked me prior to any of this, right? Would it be Maul or Mel? I actually would have thought it would have been, would have been Jermel. Um But I'm saying before we heard that, you know, that, that Canelo's going with the BBC, if you would have said he's going to fight a Charlo, which Charlo do you think he's going to fight? I understand Maul's at 160, but he's been, I was kind of surprised when that was reported. Like, damn, really? He's going to fight him so far out. That, there's a lot of what ifs in that fight uh, on the mall side. Like, I don't know, you know, what if he's not this? Is he this? A lot of ifs, you know. Um, so it's a selling fight. It's a fight that's going to sell. They're going to do a big gate and do a nice number on pay-per-view. At least seven hundred, eight hundred thousand, if not a million. I'm guessing it'll do a million. Um and it's gonna do a big ass gate in mall. or <laughs> here I go. Mel is he's a talker too. And he's kinda like a I mean this shit talker, you know what I mean? Um, so he's gonna sell the fight. Um so I'm really happy for Mel. I am very happy for him. And like I said, I do hope his uh the big bro... Uh, you know, get stuff figured out there. Uh, Marlon Esparza, like I mentioned, against uh, Gabriel I think it's Celestine. Let me look uh, at I think it is Elena's. Yep. Um, that's, I think the co-feature Floyd Schofield taking on Haskell Rhodes. Wow, I haven't heard his name in a little bit. Now, Joseph Diaz is on this undercard, but on Box Rec, it's highlighted because he's suspended by the California State Athletic Commission. Um, until September 14th. Now, they're fighting in Texas. So maybe they just don't give two shits about that. Um, so that that's kind of funky. Not not sure. It's just, it's funky. Let's put it that way. Um, Yoelvis Gomez and Mar- Marquise Taylor. Yoelvis, you know, only has, shit, what, six fights? I think he's 6-0. Oh. He did get injured. Um... So I think this is a good fight for him. This uh, Marquise Taylor uh, has had some, you know, he, last year, later in the year, I know it was in the fall. He beat like a, I think it was, I should just check. It's like Harrington. I think, I know he was an un, unbeaten. Yeah, 8-0 Marlon Harrington. Um, and I'm not trying to tout this dude up or this is, you know what I mean? But it was on Showbox, if I remember correctly. Um And he won won the fight cleanly. He also had really close fights, draws, with uh, Luke Santa Maria and Paul Crow. So I do like this fight for Yoel Gomez. I like his potential. Um, You know, his last time out was over a year ago now. And he had a a good performance against Cotto. uh, Or Cota, sorry. (laughs) Jorge Cota, not Cotto. Um, so I, I be, I'd assume that was the opener. Uh, and then Edwin De Los Santos against Joseph Adorno. I like this fight for de Santos, you know, he's what 15 and one, all of them, except one were KOs. He did get beat via split decision against Foster, you know, um, William Foster, uh, a a while, a little while ago. Now, um, so there's no shame in that loss. And that was a close, you know, it was close. It was, I'm pretty sure it was a split decision, if I remember correctly. But, um, you know, he looked really good against Jose uh, Um, Wasn't that on the undercard of uh, Ortiz and Ruiz? I believe so. Um, you know, Adorno, come on, you know, he's a tough, tough dude. He came off a really close majority decision loss to Elvis Rodriguez earlier this year. Um, you know, he had a draw with uh, Jermaine Ortiz. Um, I mean, the, the, this is a good fight for him. I really like this fight. Ordor, Ordorno, generally speaking, comes to fight. I think it's a good fight. I like this fight a lot, and I'm glad that Edwin De, De, Lo, De Los Santos excuse me, is getting an opportunity some good wins since that loss and so, you know that's that's dope to me I like that, you know what I mean I like that, I think it's it's good and, you know, if you look at it could be Frank, you know, he could he could be, be well, if he beats Adorno I, you know, if you look at the rankings, we don't know what Haney's going to do, we'll talk about him in a second, but um, they could be in the cut if Martin wins and he wins, they could face off for that WBC uh, belt, if, in fact, Haney does decide to let that thing go. Um, there is a fair amount of news out there, kind of back and forth and forth and back. You know, Tyson Fury big announcement hasn't come. <laughs> okay, whatever. It does sound like, though, he's not fighting Usyk, which is just silly to me. I just... He hasn't fought this year, correct? Um, I'm correct with that, right? Yeah, he hasn't fought this year. So, I just I love me some Tyson Fury, but it is one of those things where I'm just getting sick of his ass now. Because, and hey, you got to stay in the limelight. You got to get on your IG and talk some shit and all that. I get all that. I get all that. He fought. Last year he fought two fights, Dillian White and Chisora. I don't. It sounds like it's going to be an exhibition. If you if you listen to Eddie Hearn on that, I don't know. I'm not. I don't know. Um, it's it's a game changer. Is what they're saying. Um, by the way, somebody sent me. Yeah, that 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 95.95 for Savannah Marshall. That was bullshit. That was bullshit. The other cards. Uh, we're a lot better. Than that one was that one was rough. Huh? I can't lie on that one. I will not lie about that. That one was rough. Um, so basically, you know, he's basically saying that Eddie's basically saying that it's not going to happen. Now he's not fighting Usyk. He's just not going to fight Usyk. Uh, sounds like Tyson Fury's just going in a different direction. Um, he called, told boxing social Eddie Hearn has now declared uh, that he expects Anthony Joshua and Wilder and Usyk in Hergovic to fight on the same show in Saudi Arabia, whether it's December or January I'm starting to hear that January date a little bit more now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I think that, um, I mean that'd be great if they can get this figured out, and you know they they just speaking of Sky Sports announced that Dillian White has now reportedly signed the contract for August twelfth because they do want to get a fight in don't quite know um so supposedly it's it's those two in a rematch august twelfth that that's what we're hearing um nothing's been announced but Maybe they're going to wait to finalize this fight with AJ and Wilder, um, and they're saying um, that you know. Okay, here, here's another one. This is boxing news. Um, at Boxing News Ed, um, he's declared Eddie Hearn. That is that, that Joshua and Wilder has now virtually agreed to take place. We virtually have a did you, they. they they do it on zoom or skype or something virtually what did they put on the metaverse they did the roy jones metaverse when they signed the contract we virtually have a deal agreed in principle subject to a a, a few final discussions and they were supposed to have that discussion um so i don't know we're gonna find out though um you know a lot of uh messages <laughs> no no big uh Secret there about the wilder Ruiz stuff the seventy thirty the fifty fifty, if you hear Wilder's side, they say, dude, we haven't even worked that shit out. we're just taking here's some up here's the upfront money offer, and we can figure out the rest uh there you know Ruiz side is popped saying you know we we want thirty fifty or at thirty we want we don't want seventy thirty he offered us that we want fifty fifty I don't think it should be fifty fifty that's what uh um we senior said it you know it should be what happened is wilder's a liar uh he and his trainer want andy to accept ridiculous amount of money but andy is no random name he was a former champ yada 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 (coughs) um said he wants 50 50 wilder wants to offer andy 30 percent. we want 50 50 because wilder's no longer a champion he's coming off a very bad fight where he fought against a sparring partner um he said, oh, the sparring partner took a dive. Um, Andy's coming off a good fight that lasts 12 rounds with Ortiz. It's not good money. I will tell you why they're offering almost the same amount of money that Andy received when he beat Ortiz. The, pro- the only difference is there's going to be back-end money, but I don't know if, if that's true. You know, I don't know that. Um, basically, Andy and Wilder are going to fill a stadium. They're going to do sell a crazy amount of pay per view." Because everybody wants to see the fight. They're not offering a fair split. And like I said, on the other side of it, it it's, uh, while wow, they're saying, that's bullshit. We haven't even talked split yet. We're just trying to get money. I don't know. I'm not going to act like I know. Um, I'll say this. You know, over the last year or so, actually the last few years, if I'm being honest, you know, I, <laughs> I don't know. It, Andy's been a little funk. And he's been a little funky, it, you know. It took a while to make that RT spike. Uh they finally got it over the line. It sounds like he went and asked, you know, if if we're hearing you know, Fury said he out, you know, outpriced himself. I don't know. I really don't know. Maybe they just think this will help him in the leverage game. But they're not gonna wait around and there also is like they don't he doesn't have another opportunity, you know. Uh they're talking about Wilder on that side and it's like well okay you know if you don't want to believe this uh, soddy thing with him and Wilder or Wilder and AJ that's cool because we do have to see it you know to believe it but I personally have been on the side that it's true um, and it's a perfect time for their career now where they've both taken losses and we could still people still be very excited about this fight now, there is some stuff where, you know, will Zone get the U.S. rights? Will Showtime and then DAZN gets the world rights? There's stuff to, to, you know, to work out. But I just think both fighters, the way they've been talking about it, even Eddie Hearn, um, the money over there when they when it actually delivers it, um, which they have for two big heavyweight fights, uh, the, the, the rematch with Ruiz and Joshua and then Joshua Usyk, it's real deal money, so I actually do believe it, um, so I'm not saying a fighter take it or leave it, but, you know, you're getting in that range where you, you probably should take it, but hey, it is what it is, uh, you know, I don't know, but um, yeah, man, I uh, <laughs> I don't know, I, I really don't know exactly, uh, you know, how that's going to turn out. And that might not, you know, maybe Andy was like, hey, shut up, Dad. What are you you doing? You know, don't say anything more. I don't know, man. Uh, Now, we talked about it last week, didn't we? I believe that Andy said, hey, we're just negotiating. We're going to, I'm coming for you. So hopefully they get that fight off because if, I mean, you can say whatever you want about the reasons and excuses, uh, reasons to Wilder, excuses to a lot of people that he made, uh, about the fury loss, the second fight, that's fine. Um, the glove was funky as fuck in the in, in in the first fight, but whatever. Spiked water, whatever. It doesn't. The 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 entrance gear. If he takes on Andy Ruiz in like late summer fall and then fights <laughs> fucking John, it, it just it's so it, it it's awesome. It really is. I mean. For all the shit he gets, and this is prior to him making excuses. I'm talking about that shit, too. Let's not forget about that shit that he used to get. I mean, for his run of Luis Ortiz, Fury, a mandatory Brazil, which he did not play with his food, and then go right back to Fury, Fury, or I'm sorry, Ortiz, Fury, Fury. I mean, out of six fights for Ortiz twice and three times? Fury, like, and he he wants to earn his way back to the fourth fight. Like, you got to love, you know, take all that shit aside, okay? Don't be a Fury fanboy, because there's plenty of shit we can criticize him if we're we're being honest, having nothing to do with the Wilder fight. If we're being honest, he's fucked off and said some stupid shit, too. I'm just saying, dude, that that would be a hell of a fight before an AJ fight. We'll see if it happens. This is uh, Jake Donovan, Keith Thurman, your Dennis Ugas, interim title, ooh, in play mid to late August. We've heard about this fight for a while. Um, Boxing scene has confirmed that the plans are in place to make this fight. Um, It'd be interim WBC, so it would be right there. Whoever Whoever wins this would probably just more than likely just, you know, get the belt, uh, going into next year unless there's like a rematch or there isn't a rematch, I should say with Crawford and, uh, Spence. Um, so where they're at, I'm not trying to oversell this thing, but where they're at in their careers and Salvador Rodriguez is a great follow. Um, he, you know, he, he, I think he broke the news, um, I mean, this is this is a good fight. Where they're at in their career, both of them are, you know, in a difference. That they're they're not in their prime per se. I mean, I hate to do that to Ugas, but he's been out of the ring for a while and he fucked up his eye pretty good. And you know, he's bounced back from losses or setbacks like the Porter, which a lot of people thought he won that fight. Whatever. Um, I favor Thurman in the fight, but I like that fight. And I hope that they can keep it on regular Showtime. Um, I've heard rumors of a – actually, I think Jake Donovan on the Jake and Lefty show, if I remember correctly, said that there's a possibility to either be on Showtime or it'll be a match with the Lara Garcia. So I, I don't think Thurman and Ugas is a pay-per-view main event. Um, but we know how guarantees can be And speaking of that, Ugas said, "Name a fighter who has fought three consecutive unified champs or former unified champs." Um, Yeah, I mean that—that's pretty good. Like in a row, that's 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 a good point. That's a good point. This is someone sent me this from Charles Martin. I took the fight on eleven days' notice. I did the best I could. He's a real champ. He'll be making his way to the top soon. I'm proud of him. He's really good. He's a crafty boxer. Usually, when I have somebody hurt. it hurt them I can finish them. If you don't fall usually I could follow up. Well if they don't fall, usually I could follow up and put them away, but uh he's like a little middleweight. He's crafty. He was able to get uh even when he was rocked. Uh So let's see here. What else news? Okay, the Okay, so the Devin Haney stuff, supposedly Haney said well not supposedly he said this that um Well, Shakur actually stated that Haney's offered him a 75-25 split for the next fight, but Shakur said he rejected it. I don't think I'm the A-side. I just know my worth, and 25% ain't it. I didn't turn the fight down. That was supposedly the first offer. Haven't heard since. Um, Now, did you say how about, you know, 60-40 Sixty forty, 40 then or did you just say nah fuck that I, I don't know uh, we're not gonna I'm not gonna go too deep into that I did see Ray Jackson say I need all Devin Haney fans to keep the same energy with take offers of 25 percent because that's exactly what the split's gonna be or lower
0: yeah that's pretty funny
1: um, and, and I did hear I did see someone say that that's very close to what um, Haney took to get the fight um, uh, with Kambosis. So, you know, there is something to be said about that. Um, but, yeah, someone sent me this Tim Zhu post. Canelo Ducks, Benavides, Charles Ducks, Tim Zhu. Come on, dude. Like, stop it. Just stop it, please. Please stop it. <laughs> um. So, yeah, I mean, I, I did the hell is that there was somebody saying that's basically what that was <laughs> someone just sent me so basically Ha Devin Haney it says is you know normal suspended by the Nevada Athletic Commission until well, actually, until two days from now. And they said, who did this, basically? Did, the fuck did he do? Uh, like Al Heyman. <laughs> I think that's what they're trying to say. It's like, dude, when you fight, you get suspended. So, like, it's not a suspension that you got to make appeals and shit. It, they make it so you can't, you know, on, on, you know on paper. That you can't be, you know. That you can't, you can't fight again for a little bit. It's a health thing. It's a good thing. He's not suspended, dude. You know, so many people get confused. Okay, this is uh, this is hot boxing minute for those bad at math. Devin Haney accepted a seventy eighty or seventy eight twenty two per split in favor of Cambosos. Um, now I don't know. I mean, based off of. Did we see the commission reports? You know what I mean. So I don't know about all that, but uh, you know, he did take a fair amount less. Whatever. I don't know, man. I, I really don't know. I, I don't know how that, how that's gonna go. I have no clue. Uh, but that'd be a great fight. It'd be a hell of a fight. Uh, R.I.P. to Kid Dynamite, um, Eccles, uh, Antoine, Eccles. Um, actually, he was. Uh, he was from Davenport, too. I say, too, because Michael Nunn, Michael second to Nunn was my guy. I like both these guys because you know, I'm a Midwest guy, and uh, Iowa's just right below Minnesota, so and it's not like there's a lot of, you now. David morell is, uh, you know, adopted hometown, and, and Caleb Truax won a championship and gave, gave us great fights, but it's not like we have a long history in the 70s, 80s, and 90s of producing fighters out of this area. Now, we have and I could name more, especially at heavyweight or whatever, and I could go way back in the day to Flanagan and all that, but um, I liked Echoes a lot, dude. And, uh, 52 years old, man, so rest in peace to him, man. That, that's, that's rough, man. Um, Arias Pena, uh, great follow, he says, Echoes is one of my favorite fighters to watch in the late 90s, early 2000s, from knocking out Brian Barbosa out in the ring. They're knocking him out of the ring. Up. Body slammed by Bernard Hopkins and stopping Charles Brewer yep, in a wild war. Must see TV. RIP, thanks to the members. Yeah, RIP, man. RIP, no doubt about it. Jeez. 52 years old, man. Damn. Um, Adrian Delgado has a couple of things to say. I'm looking to get him on here in the future. I just was... Uh, going back and forth with him as far as getting him on a segment in the future if you can work it out in the schedule. And uh, he was talking about, um, you know, that in the mold, like many, other, or not many, but some other people are talking about the mold of Marcos Medana, the rugged, heavy-handed, strong, relentless. Uh, he's hurt, dropped, or stopped all of his opponents despite the, the, the skill gap, you know? Um, and I, I think that's really interesting. Um, And and someone asked him Do you think Boots' style is also perfect for Via? Uh, He won't have to go looking for him Like, you know, Ellis Uh, He'll be right there to counter He said, yes, Boots' temperament is strength From a killer instinct, entertaining standpoint But it could also get him in trouble And I agree with that He can't go too nuts Um, But, you know, he also made a point Of Via carries it late And we saw that with Ellis, like he said And that, that is very true Now, I did see Jared, okay filthy casual. This dude has some filthy tweets by the way. Jared Anderson at fourteen and zero. Uh, just fought a twenty nine and three X champ with twenty six scales. Mark oh conversely, Deontay Weller didn't see an opponent uh, with a symbols of a pulse till he was, you know, in his thirtieth fight. And that's such a stupid thing. And Sibby boxing said, Jared Anderson is twenty three and been boxing since he was a little kid. Uh, when he was 23, he was still getting ready for his pro debut with only three years of boxing experience. Just add the context. And they're talking about the second part is obviously wild. It's like, well, no shit, dude. Like, come on, man. Like, it's such a weird thing. This is the Lord of the Flies, great follow, uh, talking about Nanshinga. Or is it not, not, nothing, not Nashinga? I can't remember. But he said, excellent boxer, puncher, very versatile, very good inside, very good outside can stick a move, go to war, great punch variety, has quick hands, quick feet, legit KO power. It's not a foregone conclusion. Kinshura is uh, the one who goes undisputed. Um, yeah, the, the activity is interesting on that as well. Um, but Box Red, Gray, another great follow. Um, if Kinshura and, is it is it nam Nam-Shinga? Hits the box rest schedule before December 31st. I will finally declare 2023 as the greatest year of my boxing lifetime. Yeah, that's a good call. That's a good call. This is more Delgado. Big upcoming weekend with Ortiz, Danonius, and Ennis Villa. Uh, we'll get to see a little bit of everything. Speed, power, explosiveness, relentless skill, type of ingredients that make for a violently entertaining night of boxing. Looking forward, to, yeah, no doubt. It's definitely, I'm looking forward to it. Um, So ESPN Deportes uh, said that the deal for Canelo does not include Benavidez or Morel, and it's going to be both Charlos and Spence. And this is my point about, speaking of switching up here, about you know, I could say Amir Khan had success, right, when he went up in weight, one rounds and whatnot, but if you look at plan, um for a long time, he was barely outlanding him or, or right there with him, and then, you know, I'd say somewhere maybe in the, although he had some success in like the ninth round, somewhere, I think it was the sixth round or something like that, that's where he turned the fight, but You look at jabs, 42 to 15 in the power to the body, really, 53 to 13 for Canelo. But when you look at that, he out-threw him, not hard to do against Alvarez, landed 23%. Like I said, got hurt later in that fight. But I think it's something to be said about that. Um, Even Saunders, you know, he landed 30 to 15 jabs. Once again, 39 to 6 as far as body work. That's going to be a big, you know, Canelo thing. Um, Teddy Atlas, how badly did they oversell Anderson as the next great heavyweight? Yeah, I mean, the next great heavyweight. I, yeah, I, I agree with that. I, don't, I, you know. By the way, um, Max Kellerman is done at ESPN. As is Andre Ward. This is a post from him. Tonight's show was my last fight and earned my ESPN contract. It's been a great ride, and I'm coming to miss. And I'm going to miss the whole ESPN crew, the last that I've worked with the last six years. I'm excited for a future and chance to work on new project endeavors. Great things are ahead. Um, and I gotta admit, like the style in which I li- I liked Ward better as a broadcaster on HBO. Um, now some award scorecards <laughs> I don't know. Someone sent me this for Custer, and I saw this too. Uh, all I'm going to say is I heard about this a while ago and was sworn to secrecy and kept it myself. Uh, that's about the Jermel was the opponent. Something to chew on there. Um, you know, oh, by the way, uh, Jaloloff, is it, J- it Jaloloff? Jalolov, that 12-0, 12KO guy, um, the Uzbekistan heavyweight. Uh, he signed, uh, I believe, a two- or three-year deal. It's a multi-year deal with top ranks. So he's definitely going to be in line for Anderson at some point, you'd assume, anyway. Oh, here's Ortega. Jermel Charlo and Canelo is the first first time in a lineal champ, jumped, uh, first time a lineal champ jumped two weight classes to face the lineal since Marling Starling and Michael Second to none, thirty-three years ago, first undisputed versus undisputed men's fight since Carlos, man, since Monzone and Napoleon, jeez, in nineteen seventy-four. Wow, yeah, that's that's some history there. That is some history. Um. So yeah, uh, I think that's about it, uh, Rob. Tibet uh, from overseas, there across the pond. He says, "PBC doing PBC things. No rumors, no public back and forth. Just a monster fight out of nowhere." And that's what I'm saying. You know, when I when I see the headlines. Oh, by the way, yeah, Max Tellerman's gone too, and and so in and, and a Jalen Rose, a bunch of people from ESPN got laid off. And this is a series of layoffs in the last five to seven years, I'd say, with more to come. Now, why aren't people, and I don't think we should just jump to that conclusion, right? Because ESPN has a lot of broadcast rights in the future. The SEC, a lot of broadcast rights, right? But, and it's just a different style. They're going with younger people. That's less inexpensive. They got rid of, of, you know, most of their best writers a long time ago. Um, but if this was happening to Showtime, right, Espinoza was supposed to lose his job because Paramount and Showtime came together, we don't know after this year and next year where that contract's going to be. Just like we don't know. I'm not just going to jump on the Eddie Hearn train and say ESPN's done because he said they're not going to get their contract renewed. I don't know what it is. I'm not sure, but those same usual suspects that are anti pbc no matter what, why aren't you saying what? Eddie, why aren't you repeating what Eddie said? Remember Eddie back in the day was saying Showtime's gonna be out of business. Bob Arum, a lot of people jumping on that. If they're letting go of Max and Andre Ward, which you know Timothy Bradley loved him as a fighter. He's a company man, so he's probably not going anywhere. But so does that mean boxing's done there? You know, because shouldn't you be saying that shit? Shouldn't you be? But Jeff uh, Keyshawn Jeff, Johnson, uh, Jeff Van Gundy, Jalen Rose, I mean, big names got cut. Uh, by the way, Kurt Scobie, is that his name? Nasty, nasty punch he landed. And he's, you know, he's a big puncher or whatever, but yeah. Um, is he junior? Is he 135 or 140? I can't remember. Someone just sent me this. It's going to change the whole landscape of the, of the sport. That's what Frank Warren said to IFL TV, well, it's going to be a game changer. Well, the last UK person, uh, promoter, excuse me, <laughs> to talk about game change. You know, it's a change, but I wouldn't call it a game changer. This one really hurt me because I was looking forward to this matchup. Cletus Selden, I'm just kidding, 26-1 and one, according to the last round, on Instagram basically said he's not fighting Adrian Bro- Broder. And, you know, hopefully Adrian Broner does get, um, some, some help, dude. He needs help. He needs some fucking help there. Now, the IBF. okay, so, the IBF has called for, um, this is Jake Donovan. And also, um, Akhmadov, uh, is part of this tweet and stuff like that, but, um, Int boxing news. We'll put them in there too. International boxing news. I think that's what it is. I have uh, the IBF has now come back and verified Matias and Ergashov was in fact ordered, and they were confirmed by the International Boxing News. Right, it's confirmed. Now it's up to PBC to show the proof of a deal that had previously been agreed to with Matias and Lipinets to avoid the mandatory. Either that or, you know, Urgachev would have to step aside. So, either way, that works for me. Um, that works for me. Um, and Jake actually said, this is pretty fuck- effed up for Lipanets, who already lost out on an Elvis Rodriguez fight. If you were to lose that one, yeah, that would suck. That would suck, especially where he's at. Um, and this is Simon Jordan for Talk Sport. I'm being told there's no way Tyson Fury is fighting in Saudi. Um, I, I I just don't understand why he doesn't want to fucking fight Usyk. This money it's got to be pretty good, dude. Like it's it got to be great. Uh, Rydez, great follow by the way. Shouts out to him. Deontay Wilder has generated over 200 million in pay per view revenue but he's bugging for asking 70% for Ruiz. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is. Oscar De La Hoya, uh, awesome news. Jaime Munguia is very interested in fighting Benavides. Look forward to start the discussion and what could possibly be the fight in the year. So that sounds great, doesn't it? It really does. It's like, hell yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's not really going on a limb and publicly saying this, that, and the third, right? That's just saying, hey, man, we will let's start it out. And then today, boxing scene: Munguia's promoter is firm. Jaime is the a side with Benavides and Berlanga. Okay, okay, I was wrong. I, I actually said Oscar before. This is Zamper. This is Fernando Beltran. He's a co-promoter. I, 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 I want to say I got that wrong. My bad. My bad. According to Golden Boy Promotions, hold on. According to they are ready and willing. Who co-promotes Mugia? They're ready. Okay, maybe I'm maybe I'm right here. Hold on. Boxing scene articles where I'm reading from. He said they're ready and willing to negotiate with Benavides. Um, another opponent is Edgar Berlanga. Right. Um, when it comes to Berlanga, Beltran expressed interest in a potential contest as well, but also made it clear that Mugia would be the A side. Of that fight as well We're ready to face whomever that people want If Berlanga is the best option we can go there Blah 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 As long as the promoter is clear that we are A-side in the equation The fight is going to be Whatever we The fight's going to be whatever we say Jaime will get the You know Better percentage of the purse If they really want the fight Um, I feel Jaime is going to be the A-side in the equation With anyone except Canelo Really uh, and the situation would be accepting the B side, but Berlanga with Benavidez, whoever they tell me, I, I'm positive we're the A side. And, and that's where it's like, keep that shit behind closed doors. Don't start. You haven't even started negotiation. You're going, well, we're the A side. You know, just calm down, dude. So you're saying you wouldn't take that fight on
2: 50-50? Okay, so
1: there has been some damage control by con. Uh, Canelo's former co-promoter Because they co-promote Just like uh, the PBC and uh, you know canelo they co-promote Hearns says this is the boxing scene again. Not every canelo alvarez fight was a success Um, You know and they obviously didn't have the opponents now to make the money, you know I think it's a good move for him. Of course, we always want to promote alvarez. We never made him an offer We didn't have a fight for in september we were asked to make the bival fight. It wasn't possible. He's got to make his move. Um, I wish all the best. We talked about this last week as far as now he's saying that he's got more money now. He kind of made it sound like, well, we had cash earmarked to pay him for that bival fight. And now we can just use it on whatever. So we'll see how they close. Um, and he said, we're, you know, Basically, we're we want to win. We're rolling up our sleeves in order to give you an unbelievable last six months of the year. I'm not saying this, but uh, wait, he said I'm not. Oh, I'm not just saying this, but honestly, the zone is fine with losing Alvarez. It got to a stage where not every Canelo Alvarez fight is a success for the zone. He is a massive name. He's a massive number for us. He's always been a success for meaning he gets percentage of it. But it comes to the point where the broadcaster says, "I'm getting, am I getting value? The fights that um, are, you know, in the fights that you know are available. The answer is not necessarily. If we had Charlo or Benavides, yeah. So, which you know, I've been a lot of people have, not a lot, but people have been saying that exact thing. I mean, it, it wasn't. It, it, it they just they, you know, the zone on the surface, it, it you know i still like it a lot off of certain things now i don't like their price point shit has been crazy right how quickly that jumped up but i i still like it because i'm a hardcore fight fan and there's just fights that they have overseas especially in here i mean stand on odsrt's but that you know i just i like it it's worth it to me but as far as the casual fan or even a common boxing fan who's not a hardcore, or even, you know, borderline hardcore. It's like, dude, when you jack the price up like that, you can get like two or three different streaming services for the same fucking price. And, and you know, you can get Showtime, ESPN Plus, and something else. So you got two boxing uh, outlets, who, by the way, are making the best fights right now for just cheaper. So uh, yeah, that's bullshit, but we'll see. But yeah, he wasn't make don't My point is with the pay-per-view, they just don't have the exposure. They got to spend so much money to try to get that. That that kills them too. And with that guarantee, they just don't whether, you know, they're fucking people over customer service wise during, you know, the zone did during, you know, I've always said I got to pause mine on my Roku. So they didn't fuck me over, but I've heard plenty of people get fucked over that paid that $100, you know, and they didn't have content for a while. And that is that is bullshit. Um, and then, you know, the streaming shit and how they handled the streaming, like when your pay-per-view wasn't working or you bought it and then nothing happened. You couldn't see it, and so you bought it again thinking, oh, okay, it didn't go through. And some people literally, you know, had the evidence and they posted it that they bought the damn thing like four or five times thinking that it just was having glitches, you know? So, I don't know. But either way, they just don't have the polls. Showtime's been doing it a long time. Al Heyman's a smart guy, no matter what you think about him, which I don't know why the fuck you think bad about him, just because what he does not in do interviews. Um, I don't care what Steve Kemp told you about him being run out of the uh, music business. That's fucking nonsense, just like most of the shit that he talks about. But anyway, I digress. They just, they don't have, don't have, they can't get it to the public more. They just can't. We've seen enough gates, live gates beyond the Golovkin one. Give them credit for that. But, you know, they can't get credit for that fight because it was already done twice, right? But they did do a monster gate. But the pay-per-view sales has been down over there for them. It just, it is what it is. Connor Ben, this is times Sport. Connor Ben has now enlisted a new team. Ooh, he's got a new team of doctors and scientists for his UCAD case. Despite him previously dismissing the WBA's contaminated eggs explanation, his new team insists his urine sample contained blah, 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 blah. blah. Uh-huh. And it came from eggs or something. It sounds like ammo. Is this ammo? Wait a second. Is this Emil Williams and Felix Cash are fighting in the co-main event on the uh, Anthony Joshua, presumably Anthony Joshua-Dillian White rematch? So that's a little bit of news. Um, I think that'll be about it. Um, yeah, that, that'll be it. Okay, one more. Ultra. If he, hey, UK. Shots out the UK in general, but Ultra. Ultra boxing. In his own right, he's a funny fucking dude. He knows his shit. He boxes, actually. Not professionally, but he boxes. But he knows his shit, but he's entertaining. This is a post from him. This must be a lie. Four years ago, Eddie Hearn told me Showtime would be out of business in 12 months. (laughs) That was a little tweet of his over that. Um, This is Jay Bro. Shouts out to him. If Spence goes 2-0 versus Bud, expect Canelo versus Spence in 2024. Yeah. I agree. I agree. And, you know, beyond Thurman Ugas, the rumors are Plant Andre, uh, Lara Garcia, Vargas Figueroa, Matias Lipnitz, if, if in fact that comes. I mean, and there's more of them, too. It's not just that, that there is more. So, yeah, I'm going to get out of here. Enjoy the fights this weekend. We got a fair amount of them. Um, yeah. Take it easy. Have a good one. Be safe. Peace. Once you become the world champion, I believe that you feel you have. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.
0: A laundry? Oh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah,
1: oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. <laughs>